Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. everyone and welcome to the opening drive on 101 ESPN in St. Louis where it's 7 o'clock time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers an officially licensed Rolex jeweler Rick Grimsley is here, Matthew Rocchio is here, I'm Randy Carricker. Good morning, how was the weekend? The weekend was great, Randy, and we're all wearing red this morning, yeah. which was not on purpose. I want everybody to know, because I'm yeah. sure people will look on YouTube and say, wait a minute, are they all Chiefs fans in there, or what's going on? No. No, we're just we're, really we're excited just for the Cardinals. Fans. Yeah, Cardinals. We like red. Spring training starting shortly. Oh, oh and... Matthew, <laughs> Matthew Rocchio is going to show us, oh, he's going blue. He's, he's going blue, <laughs> he's going blue. He's blue For the this blues. Morning. Yeah, LGB. How about our Blues? Five straight wins, Randy. Especially in the manner that they've done that. I wasn't expecting this, but have I not been saying the past few weeks that they need to put together not just a three-game win streak, Mm -hmm. but at least a five, six-game win streak? And now here they are. It's amazing. They play the Blue Jackets tomorrow. And uh, right now, if the playoffs started, the Blues would be in the playoffs. Again, it's crazy. LGB. Can we just start it tomorrow yeah, then yeah. so that we can go ahead and get that going? Yeah, let's go Blues. Let's go Blues. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll touch on that game. We're going to talk to Chris Kerber later in the show. Uh, got a lot coming up about the National Football League. And, of course, yesterday in Baltimore, the Chiefs advanced to the Super Bowl again with a 17-10 win over the Baltimore Ravens. Travis Kelsey scoring the first touchdown of this game midway through the first quarter. Did not have a single snap inside the 25. Here's Kansas City from the 19, throwing at the goal line, and it's caught by Kelsey for the touchdown. With Kyle Hamilton all over him, the matchup you wanted to watch, Kelsey wins it. Kelsey had an amazing day, and the Chiefs were up by a score of 17-7 in the fourth quarter. Baltimore trying to come back, and they thought they were there. This is a call that could determine the whole game right here. Sneed! It's out. Who has played as at the highest level this entire season, Jim? Sneed has defended the other team's best receiver, traveled with them all year, and he has shut him down week in, week out, and makes the biggest play of the season, getting the ball back for the Chiefs. It's- Zay Flowers fumbling at the two-yard line. The game remains 17-7 rather than 17-14. A field goal by Kansas City and then a late garbage touchdown for the, the Ravens. And the Spagnolo defense comes up big for Kansas City against one of the best offenses in the league. And the Chiefs advance to the Super Bowl again, winning 17-7 over the Ravens. Are you surprised, Randy? I am surprised that that defense... Because that's a good offensive line that Baltimore has. It is. That Lamar Jackson was just not given a chance. He was he was smothered all day long. And that running game for Baltimore, and I didn't think that they called the, the running game a lot. I, I thought Todd Munkin kind of got out of his personality. But at the end of the day, you have to give Spags and that defense all the credit in the world. That's what I was going to say. You have to give them so much credit for what they were able to do. It kind of felt like Baltimore obviously got very uncomfortable, but also it pushed them to the point where they were over-aggressive and they were making a lot of mistakes. And when you're playing at this stage, you have to play mistake-free mm-hmm. football. And I thought that that was the biggest difference. And those in both of the games, I know we're going to touch on the Lions and 49ers. To me, the biggest thing was with the Chiefs, 
and the 49ers, they showcased their discipline throughout the game. Yes. And that was the difference maker. Yeah, and Patrick Mahomes, great again. 30 of 39 for 241, had the touchdown, didn't turn the ball over. Lamar did turn the ball over. They lost the ball at the two-yard line there on the Flowers fumble, and then uh, Lamar threw into triple coverage late, and that was another turnover for Baltimore, his interception on the day. 17-10 was the final, and oh, by the way, we mentioned Travis Kelsey, 11 catches for 116 yards and a touchdown. 11 targets and 11 catches. So much for that Hamilton matchup, huh? Yeah, really, so, really so much, much for that. I mean, yeah. and look, Hamilton is super talented, but Travis Kelsey has just been on a tear mm-hmm. as of late. Not that he hasn't been great all season, but I think the season's been a little bit different for him. But it's just him and Patrick Mahomes when the lights are the brightest. They both really, really shine. Okay, Brooke, question. And yes. uh, ta- Matthew's a big process guy, okay. so we need to answer this question, okay? When the Chiefs fell to 8-6 and six with their loss to the Raiders on Christmas Day, there were many people, including people that texted into this show, that blamed Taylor Swift for the struggles. Yeah. Now they've won five in a row. Taylor Swift has been at every game. So what do we do now? Oh my gosh! Do we have to credit it's Taylor so Swift? crazy, right? Do yeah, we, we do have to credit for the Taylor Swift. Winning streak I think that you have to. If you want to blame her, then you have to give her credit. I as would well. say so. We were just listening to Unsportsmanlike, and I'm sure other people were coming in um, to the show today. And Michelle, they were talking about it. Michelle said it best too, and I 100% agree with her. I don't understand all of the hate towards Taylor Swift. To me, it's such a lazy yeah. take. It's just really sad and embarrassing. Randy, I sent you in our group chat last night where somebody was like. Ugh, Taylor Swift, Super Bowl, yuck. And then people going back and forth with me. I didn't even tweet about Taylor Swift mm-hmm. and people were still bringing it up on social yeah. media. I, she's not doing anything. She's just attending the games. She's a mega superstar. And there's people who will try to say, well, Josh Allen dates Haley Steinfeld mm-hmm. or whatever Ooh. her name is. Steinfeld? Feld? <laughs> yeah. Is it? Is that what it is? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And right. she's, That's the problem right she's there. She's talented, but she's not selling out world tours. She's not selling right. out arenas. She's not traveling the world, the country at that level that Taylor Swift is. People are, A, looking for reasons to be outraged, and B, they apparently really like to watch huddles. <laughs> they really, really do. Yeah. I, I really want, is there any proof that when they do do a camera shot, and I don't know if you saw this weekend, yeah. they did put the camera on her for a minute and she she kind of mouthed like, go away, basically. Yeah. She didn't want it. Right. Because she doesn't yeah. want that negative attention. And she'll be in Japan. It's going to be really hard for her to get back for the Super Bowl to Well, Vegas. she has to be there now because now yeah. she's the good luck charm, Randy. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that happens. <laughs> so Kansas City punches their ticket for the Super Bowl in Vegas two weeks from yesterday. And then in the late game, Detroit grabbed an early lead against the San Francisco 49ers thanks to one of the St. Louis Lions, Jamison Williams, taking a handoff and going 42. First down, another fake. Coming Jamison Williams, a speedster, has a block. Williams cuts up, 25-20, still on his feet. Jamison Williams scores! That was just the start. A dominant performance in the first half by the Lions. They lead 24-7 at halftime. And that's that's all that happened, right, Randy? Well, no. The Lions were killing the 49ers. They were killing them. Jake Moody hits an early field goal for San Francisco, makes it a 24-10 game. On the ensuing possession, Detroit's first possession of the second half, 28-yard line, Dan Campbell decides to go for it on fourth and two rather than kick the field goal to make it 27-10, make it a three-score game. 
they fail on fourth down. Back come the Niners, and Brandon Ayuk catches a six-yard touchdown fa- pass from Brock Purdy, and it's 24-17. And if you're a Lions fan, you're saying, uh-oh. McCaffrey goes over for, from one in the late in the third quarter to make it a 24-24 game. Moody with another field goal, 27-24. By the way, that was set up by a pretty amazing play. But then Elijah Mitchell going over to provide the insurance for the 49ers. Elijah Mitchell in for the first time tonight. Guess what? He's going to get it. Mitchell surging forward. Touchdown. 34-24 at that point. Williams with a touchdown catch from Jared Goff in the final minute to make it a 34-31 final. San Francisco will head to the Super Bowl against Kansas City. Rematch of the 2019 Super Bowl 54 matchup. How exciting. Now, the biggest thing is, do you blame this game on Dan Campbell or some of the other things that happened throughout the game? Because a lot of people and Lions fans are pointing to Reynolds drop, that happening. You had Gibbs fumble, different things like that, which that does, Mm -hmm. that's something you do have to take into account. But Dan Campbell has been aggressive all year going for it on fourth and short, and that gamble didn't pay, pay off for him. Here's the thing. It's it's one thing to gamble and one thing to be reckless. And if you can make it a three-score game, and no, there's no guarantee that Badgley would have hit the 45-yard field goal. But I thought when you could have made it a three-score game early in the third quarter, it wasn't like it was the fourth quarter, I thought that was pretty reckless on his part. He And by the way, Sure, Reynolds dropped the ball. How had Detroit taken over in the first half with a running game? Mm-hmm. They, if I were on four, if I had a fourth and two, I'm giving it to one of my running backs because their running game had been dominant. But teams are different. A team like the 49ers who loves to run the ball, their personality changes when they're down three scores rather than two. And I thought that was a huge difference in the momentum of the game. And I'm not going to say I'm going to blame Dan Campbell. I'm going to credit San Francisco. They came back. They proved that they were the better team. Once again, it came back to what I was saying earlier is discipline. Discipline in those moments. And I understand Dan Campbell, the whole reason I've liked him all season is because of his aggressiveness and wanting to do things like that. But at the same time, don't you kind of have to adjust yourself for the moment? You have to coach the regular season like how you would week three, week six, different than how you would during the postseason, right? You have to maintain, yes, a a level of equilibrium. And uh, I get analytics, but there's simple math, too. I, I do simple math. You take the points. Right. Because if you're up by 17, then even if they score two with two two-point conversions, you're still ahead. That's what I would have been looking at. But he didn't, and uh, he'll get to go back to Detroit today oh. rather than Vegas. Matthew is – he's a process. Matthew doesn't care about wins and losses. He's all about the process. Oh, it's That's the not, journey, not the reward? Well, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, you can care about wins and losses. They, they had to win a lot of games to get to the, the NFC Championship game. I just think that you know when you when you look at the drop on the on the that fourth down and listen I actually that's actually the fourth down call I actually disagree with the most and that was the one where they call the play that actually worked it's just that your receiver fails in the execution which I don't I don't blame the coaching staff for my bigger thing was the was the second one where he decides not to kick it and and not criticizing the the decision I'm just trying to figure out what went into the decision considering it could have been a tie game with eight minutes left and mm-hmm. I feel like you know you got to feel pretty good about your guys in that situation and apparently he didn't okay now I just want to get this straight are you saying that an incomplete pass on fourth down worked no I'm saying it was the right play <laughs> I'm saying they had the right call it's just there was one play there was one Lions player who didn't execute and I, mm-hmm. I can't blame the coaching staff for 
one player not executing the play, which was the right call in the right situation, apparently, because they got the play. They beat the 49ers defense. He was good for the first down, but slippy sloppy. Well, how about we hear what Dan Campbell has to say about that, where he explains his fourth down decisions. Does he want to stick with it or not? Does he have any regrets? Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I just felt really good about us converting and uh, getting our momentum and and not letting them play long ball. Um, you know, they were bleeding the clock out. That's what they do. Um, and I wanted to get the upper hand back, um, you know, and it's easy hindsight. And I get it, you know, um, I get that. But I don't regret those decisions. And that's hard. You know, it's hard because, you know, they didn't. We didn't come through. It wasn't able to, to work out. But I just, I don't. I don't. And I understand the scrutiny I'll get. That's part of the gig, man. Um, but, you know, we just, just didn't work out. Okay, so he said we wanted to try to get back the upper hand. You were up by two touchdowns. I, I think you had the upper hand. That's my issue with this. Yeah, and then it was just the easy points to take yeah. right there. And I do understand, though, with what he's saying, because he does have a lot of trust in his guys, and I think that's what he's he trying really to state not. there. He has a lot of trust in a lot of his guys other than his kicker, apparently. But I get it, because he has stuck to his guns all season of his identity and what he likes to do. And Randy, you brought up a good point before the show of the coaching tree, the Bill Parcells coaching tree, and how that plays into yeah, it. Yeah, he's on... That tree. He he coached for Bill Parcells in Dallas. Uh, he he coached uh, with Sean Payton in Dallas. He he's coached with some of the best in the business. I, I never saw, and I watched a lot of Bill Parcells games. Uh, I I never saw him go for it on fourth and two from the twenty eight yard line and eschew the the field goal and the points to try to go for it. I never saw Belichick from that Parcells tree do that. I haven't seen Peyton do that. I, uh, people that even aren't aren't even on the Parcells tree. I never saw Joe Gibbs do that. I I, I just don't. I never saw Dick Vermeil do that. Give up the the points that you can put in your pocket so that you can try to get momentum back in a twenty four to ten game. It's it's a shame. I, I feel bad for Lions fans today, but be happy that you got there. The the NFC Championship is, is a fun thing to do when you haven't done anything since 1957 in terms of winning in the NFL. I feel for him right now. I do too. I, I really do feel for him. And I know that we have a lot of Lions fans because I see him text in every day in the area. I feel for them a lot for this moment, especially in the manner of which that game happened. Right. Speaking of great games yesterday over at Enterprise Center, Blues knocked off the Kings by a score of 4-3 to three in overtime. Adrian Kempe with a great goal for L.A. 4-0-6 into the game, one nothing Kings. Nick Letty ties it for the Blues before the first period was out. Second period, Dole, Anderson Dolan scores for L.A., 2-1. Butch David scores for the Blues, 2-2. Kairou scores for the Blues, 3-2. And at the 18-44, mark of the second period. Philip Deneau tied it for L.A. at 3-3. A scoreless third period led to overtime. Pavel Butchnevich launches a pass to Shin. Shin, a partial break. Shoots! Score! The captain, the hero, the game winner. And bring out the Zamboni. The Blues are back in a playoff spot. They've won five in a row. And Braden Shin rips home the game winner to keep the streak rolling. It's a St. Louis Blues 4-3 win. Okay, I don't think this is mean to say. I don't think the Blues are 
an exceptionally talented crew. As a matter of fact, their their own president of hockey operations and general manager said that he hoped they could finish hoped they could finish third in the division. Uh, the the owner sat here and said we aren't going to be elite, so they they aren't among the elite. They, they aren't super talented. But boy, are they playing well, and they're playing within a system, and the goaltending is sensational. And as Curbs mentioned, the Blues now have 54 points. They're a point ahead of Nicheville. They're two points ahead of Seattle. They're now five points ahead of Arizona, and they're tied with the Kings in the wild card race. Braden Shin, after that game, he said, we have a belief in our locker room now that we can get it done every single night. And that's what you're seeing. If you just look in the Blues' last three overtime games, here's the pattern for you, Randy, against the Canucks. Shen scores to win it. And then against the Kraken, Shen sets up Buchnevich for the game winner. And then yesterday, Buch sets up Shen for the game winner. You see a theme this is going a theme. on here? Should they be playing on the same line regularly? Why not? Maybe. Why not? It's working out right now yeah, for really him, is. of whatever they have going on there. But I think the biggest thing, too, is your captain being able to kind of get yeah. in a better place. Uh, and across this five-game winning streak, four goals, two game winners, two assists. Uh, he has seven points, ten points in his last nine games after going the 12 games before that. Pointless. They were they were kind of pointless. So, congratulations to the Blues, <laughs> who play tomorrow against the Blue Jackets. College basketball, uh, not yeah. not great. Uh, Indiana knocks off 10th ranked, or no, Illinois does win, 70-62. to 62. Go Illini. Missouri, they might go winless in the SEC. Oh, no. Uh, they lost uh, to South Carolina 72-64. And the Billikens have now lost 7 out of 8. 84-73 was the final to UMass. And before the game, Richard Chaffetz, whose name adorns the arena, tweeted, this is a must win. So I would say that uh, things are not great over at St. Louis University. Well, especially when he says that he's flying in and that it's a must win. Yeah. I think everybody's like, well, uh, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. Something the, going on here? I think the, the the people in charge might be a little bit restless. Not in charge, I, I shouldn't say that. But the people that, well, if you have the money, you're kind of in charge, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, there you have it. We're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, three things we loved about the weekend here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. <laughs> Three things we loved about the weekend here on 101 ESPN. Matthew, Brooke, Randy. Yes, sir. Did you Number some? three. Oh, I, I thought you wanted to say. I, I, was, I, was, lock, I was just locking in for that cue. Uh, love no, it. Okay. I, I was busy distracting yeah. Randy as we were coming back in, and then I heard the music. I was like, oh, we have a show going on. No, I was just showing a funny video, Austin Powers. I have it on my X account right now. You can never you can go check it out. You can never go wrong with Austin Powers. Us doing a show is only theoretical, so you, you yeah, just, right. just do whatever you want. Oh, okay. Cool. I guess I'll do my number three. I, thing always, then. I always like my my name check in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
god. <laughs> Anyways, oh, number 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 three. Just do the, do the number again. You know what did. Do oh, it we're the, doing it again. Yeah, okay. there's a, to segue away. <laughs> number three. There we go. So my my number three thing from this weekend is despite the way that it ended for the Lions, I have enjoyed watching them this season. Dan Campbell or Dan Gamble. Ooh, <laughs> well you like that one? Oh, I'm, well I'm not definitely not the first person that made that up. But uh, the gamble didn't work out for the Lions. Either way, though, it was just really great to see some of the local St. Louis athletes. I think if you're looking for a team to root for here at, after the Rams left, I look for local talent. Jamison Williams, what he was able to do. He had some really big plays, and he also had two touchdowns, one rushing and one receiving. And then you also had Sam Laporta. What he was able to do, nine receptions, I think for nearly 100 yards in the game. And then you have Jack Fox punting. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's great. He is. Yeah, I, and- I think that if you're looking for something, I, I like seeing that young talent yeah. in the area just really make it on the big stage like and that. And that was one thing about the fourth down that bothered me is going to Reynolds. If you're going to gamble, why not throw it to Williams? I don't know. I don't know. Because, oh. <gasps> Randy, you walked me right into that. Get, make him, make him do the third one. I cannot. He's, don't you do that, Randy? Oh, that so don't good. you do that? You caught me off guard. She didn't see it coming. Well, but no, because I was hyped up. I was like, yeah, Williams had a great game, Randy. You're right. Wait a minute. No. Oh. It's just like when the texter snuck the Ali Marmal Yadi Molina joke past us and asked Uncle Randy last week, and we had no idea. God, that was good. That was so good. Randy's so proud of himself. Oh my gosh. Number okay. three. But can you agree? It was a great oh, yeah. game for Williams. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh man. The, the, all the St. Louis kids, the St. Louis Lions, they're they're great. Yeah. And I I love. Seeing, you don't say that them. about the local kid. Uh. <laughs> You're I'm just, so bad. I'm just, oh my gosh. I should have never shown you the Austin uh, Powers video before this segment. <laughs> Brooke, here's something cool. This is my number three. The Blues have won three games in a row, 4-3 in overtime. Uh, they beat Vancouver in overtime, 4-3. They beat Seattle, 4-3 uh, in overtime. And then they beat the Kings 4-3 in overtime. Pretty impressive run by our St. Louis Blues. So that's what you need to do if you're the St. Louis Blues. Just get the game tied to 3 to overtime, and you're going to win. But to see them be as resilient as they have been and find ways to win and be gritty and win those games in overtime is really a great thing. So that's my number three. Number two. That's going to be my number two is the Blues and their little win streak that they have going on. Not trying to jinx anything here, but still, you have to give credit for what they're able to do here. And I like what Shen said about right now they have that belief in the locker room. Because right now, I think all the players are very aware of the trade deadline and what's ahead. What decisions will be made? Because if they don't do well, and you mentioned, Randy, several times that we know that they need to make the playoffs, that's something that is hugely beneficial for the Blues for profitable reasons mm-hmm. and for fan reasons. You were just so tickled with yourself over there. Still. I'm so happy camper, yeah. <laughs> I can't. But still, I think that it's great that they have shown a lot of fight because they know what's on the line here. If you say that you don't want to part with some of the other players... Then you play like this, so you don't have to see a guy like maybe a Pavel Buchnevich get traded, which he still might be, or mm. even a Colm Pareko. I keep seeing all these Colm Pareko rumors everywhere. Yeah, no. Uh-uh. I don't I don't know where that's coming from. No. I think that's just people spitballing, honestly. Yeah. It just wouldn't make sense for the Blues. 
uh, because th- that takes you to let the studs. That's a, a teardown. And here's the thing. You can go through the next six drafts because he has seven years left on his contract. You can go through the next six drafts and not find a guy that can do for you in terms of trying to win what Colton Pareko does. Also, when you look at his contract, $6.25 million in the grand scheme of things for a defenseman, that was like 17th in the league, like league rankings. Mm-hmm. He's he's easily a top 15 defenseman in the yeah, NHL right, right now. And so it's a it's a it's it's officially a discount of a deal. So keep on rolling with it. It's a great yeah. deal now. Yep. Brooke, here's another thing I liked about the weekend. That I don't, I the Cardinals aren't, a team that reacts to what other teams do. But the Cubs go out and sign Hector Neris, right? They give him a $9 mm-hmm. million dollar deal. And we've all mentioned that we would like to see the Cardinals get one more reliever. I, I like seeing the Cubs do that because I do think it puts a little pressure on the Cardinals to go out, and it doesn't have to be for $9 million, and get another veteran relief pitcher. And the Cubs now are getting things started. They're building that bullpen for Craig Council. He, he specializes in bullpen. They need to get a bat, obviously, because Cody Bellinger isn't there, and the, the bat might be Cody Bellinger. But I like to see other teams in the division. The Reds have done this, and now the Cubs seem to be doing it. And maybe the Reese Hoskins signing by Milwaukee will cause the Cardinals to do just a little bit more to just get over the top bit. so that uh, they, they can be the best team in the division. I feel like there's still a lot of relievers out there. There are. That could be in their price range. Right. And I, I don't... I don't think that Hector Neris is a $9 million, Well, for one year, $9 million, big deal. But, yeah, you'd hate to see other teams, especially in our division or even in our league, wind up with some of those guys that are out there for the taking for the Cardinals. Number one. My number one, I'm sticking with the Blues because, in particular, Saturday, did you see... Pavel Buchnevich's Nefit Buchnevich. Okay, Bucci. There Bucci. we go. Excuse me. I'm so thrown off by your gamble thing. That was a great one, Randy. <laughs> Pavel Buchnevich, his kayaking celebration. Oh yeah, that was great. That is my number one. I really enjoyed that one because for Pavel during this road trip. He hadn't really scored since January 11th, mm-hmm. and he's kind of gone through little streaks here and there. But then during this road trip, he picks up four goals and six points. And I know there's been a lot of speculation on our air even about trading Pavel Buchnevich. The only way I would move him, and he's got a year left on his contract after this year, the only way I would move him is I was if I was clearly out of the playoff race. I don't think the Blues can win without him. And he's still, even though he's not their most productive player, he is their most gifted player. He's the guy that can go off on their team. So if I'm the Blues, I have to be in a position like I was last year when I traded Tarasenko and O'Reilly and I wasn't going to make the playoffs if I'm going to move him. And I don't see the Blues in a couple of weeks being in that position where they can't make the playoffs. No, I, I really don't see that either. I don't want to see them move on for him. And that was Friday's game against the Kraken, excuse me. But still, that kayaking goal, one, was so fun. And maybe we could show it later on. But Robert Thomas, they had him react to it. And he was like, what is that? What is what is going on? It's a celebration you don't really see that much. But I like yeah. to see that from Bucci. And Brooke, my number one is seeing the St. Louis kids on Detroit succeed to the level that they are. And they are just on the team. Jamison Williams with uh, their two touchdowns. He had the run for 42 yards, two catches for 22 for 25 yards and a touchdown. Obviously, their best receiver is Scott, uh, Sam Laporta. Nine catches for 97 yards and set the rookie record with 86 catches. Rookie tight end record with 86 catches. And then Jack Fox is a Ledoux product and he was the best punter in the league this year. Average 
yards, 64 yards a punt for his two punts. So it's not just guys that happen to be on the Lions, but it's kind of, aside from Jared Goff, their offensive fulcrum, their their offensive uh, nucleus is based on St. Louis kids, which is really cool. Yeah, that's why I like that from this weekend, too. Now, Randy, you've gotten yourself into a little bit of trouble with your joke here because there's some people who don't understand the joke oh, okay. that you had earlier. Uh, Jamison Williams was suspended by the NFL for the first six games of this season for gambling while in the Lions facility. He was online gambling in the Lions facility, so he was suspended for the first six games of the year. And that's why it becomes a joke. If you're going to gamble, why not go with Jamison Williams? It's so much better when we have so to explain it to the tester. Off. I've yeah. been so thrown off ever since yeah. then because that was just so good. You got me oh. this morning on it. Because so. at first I was like, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Like he, They should have gotten him the ball in that situation. <laughs> Wait a minute. I, just, I love the mindset of the texter being like, hey, I didn't get that joke. So I'm going to text it angrily that no one got the joke because that's the level I'm on right now. It's like, yeah, buddy. <laughs> you're right. Nobody got the joke, including you. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, now you know via radio. And that's why we're here, to help you help provide you with a little bit of knowledge. It was, it was so good, Randy. <laughs> well, I mean, the knowledge about gambling. But did he bet? He, did, did he, he didn't yeah, bet on so, Lions games. It was just no, that he just, was just in the facility. If, yeah, they, the NFL and the FBI, they track every pro athlete, and the NFL especially. Uh, that's what Calvin Ridley got suspended for, too, is uh, he was gambling in their facility. So they know where your phone is. They ping it. And if you are using, and by the way, FanDuel and DraftKings, all these companies are in on it, too, to make sure that athletes are not gambling. Correct me if I'm wrong. And the difference between the half games, half year suspension for Williams and the full year for Ridley was Ridley did bet on non Falcon, correct NFL, non Falcon NFL yeah. games. Jameson Williams was betting on college games yeah. in the Lions facility. Exactly. Hence why he was able to play last night. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, so there you have it. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, four downs from Conference Championship Weekend in the NFL. Warm weather means homework for homeowners. And if your homework means a new deck, then turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, treks, Envision, Azek, and decorators to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed. You can choose to do it yourself with Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Stop by and see Hackman's expanded paint department, too, with brushes, rollers, painter's tape, and four different lines of interior and exterior paint. Custom color match available. Visit Hackman Lumber's newly remodeled stores in St. Peter's and Pacific, or their showroom in Troy, Missouri. Hackman Lumber. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Time for four downs from the National Football League. And we start with the AFC Championship game, Baltimore, at home, losing to the Kansas City Chiefs. First down. What do you got for first down? 
Mine is going to be the Ravens miscues. And we were talking about this earlier, Randy. I think that what you were able to see in those two games is that the Chiefs and the 49ers displayed a lot of discipline. For the Chiefs on their side of things, first half was about their offense. Second half, it was the defense that answered the bell. But they were just very sound throughout the game. They played mistake-free football. And I believe they also played in a, sty- in a style. And this gives a lot of credit to Spags and what he was able to do, where it really pushed the Ravens into a lot of mistakes and to the point where they were a little too over aggressive if you have three turnovers two of which happen in the red zone randy it's pretty hard to win a game isn't it it is it is and then there was also a lot of other mistakes and miscues throughout the game lamar jackson that fumble that happened early on in the game in the second quarter with under 10 to go that was a momentum killer zay flowers we played that earlier that goal line fumble legerious sneed by the way has just been fantastic this season i like he's getting a lot more credit now and then he, you had that taunting penalty right before with Zay Flowers, yeah. which led to that. So that was a huge moment for Zay Flowers. And then Lamar Jackson, that end zone interception, triple coverage. Yeah. It, I, I don't really understand what happened there. And Lamar, he deserves a lot of credit. So it's not a knock against him. I think it was just really the Chiefs defense doing their job. That's what... I'm looking at too, Brooke. He Lamar dropped back 37 times. He was sacked four times. He was hit seven other times. He was hurried 10 other times. So that's 21 of the 37 times that he dropped back that he was under duress. And it's really hard for a quarterback to operate under those circumstances. Now, it wasn't the issue of the offensive line of the Ravens either. It's the defense of the Chiefs. Let's give somebody some credit. I know that throughout the day on national TV, they're going to denigrate the performance of Lamar Jackson. I'm here to give credit where credit is due, and that's to the Chiefs' defense, which is exceptionally talented, exceptionally smart, and exceptionally well-coached. I just have a ton of respect for what Spags has done there. And they've turned everything over. I mean, Mm -hmm. Spags leaned on the honey badger, Teron Matthew. And I thought when he leaves, okay, they're, they're going to lose everything. They've got two young safeties now that are playing great. They're getting unbelievable work out of uh, Trent McDuffie. Karlaftis, who was a rookie last year, uh, is getting pressure. Chris Jones obviously has Mm -hmm. been there and he's great, but the, the players change, but the performance remains or even gets better. So I'm one that's willing to give the Chiefs defense a ton of credit. I, and they deserve it. They've deserved it all season long. I yeah. think they were the reason why we talked about this during the season. They have played so well to the point where you knew that maybe eventually this could happen. Mm-hmm. Remember we talked about it a while back about if the defense could continue to play as well as they have played at such a high level all season, it would buy Patrick Holmes and Andy mm-hmm. Reid enough time for what they're able to do right now. Now, on the other side of the ball, if you are a great defense, which the Ravens are, how does Travis Kelsey get so open? Uh, 11 targets, 11 catches, and there were a lot of times where he was kind of on his own out there. It just looked like, and I know they had a guy that, first of all, Willie Gay probably would have made a difference in that game. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm I'm talking about the other team. Uh, Kyle Hamilton, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm... Missing one of the the safeties for Baltimore. But still, Kyle Hamilton is back. And that's how you have to handle uh, Travis Kelsey. And Hamilton is great. Yeah, He really is. is. But Travis Kelsey, the way that he's been playing, and also the the personal foul penalties, those were things that I believe really cost the Ravens as well. I mean, they just fell right into the traps. With the taunting one, I think you could argue that maybe that was a little soft. No, I I thought when it happened, I thought, man, that's a flag. Yeah, but either way, then you have a moment to respond there, and instead it turns into a 
a momentum shifter with that goal line fumble by Flowers. Right. It, the the fumble and the, the taunt. And, and then you had the two, you, you had the uh, personal foul hit yes. to the face by Jones. Uh, Roquan Smith running over uh, the, the guard. Mm-hmm. It was just really an undisciplined game by the Ravens, which is out of their character because usually Harbaugh has those guys ready. Uh, even, I was surprised that they were second in the league in penalty yards because they seem to be a pretty disciplined team. Yeah, and I agree with you too with what you're saying with Lamar Jackson. I don't think that this takes away from what he has accomplished and what he will accomplish. No, he's uh, the the clock is ticking though. He's going to be 28. He's been around for a while now. So he's he's got to if he's going to be to the level of a Mahomes, he's kind of where Steve Young was when Steve Young won his Super Bowl, but uh, it's not all on him either. No. Lamar. But is anybody right now in that tier with Patrick Mahomes? He's the GOAT right now. He's uh, I, I, I They were talking about this this morning that uh, because Evan, who's a huge Patriots fan, doesn't think that Mahomes has reached the level yet of Tom Brady uh, at the same stages of their career. And I, I didn't point, hear that, Randy. Yeah. Really? But here's yeah. the thing. At this, this stage where Mahomes is of Tom Brady's career, they were still cheating. Right? They didn't get outed until 07. <laughs> so I think we need to look at it that way, too. <laughs> what? Technically, this is the. Wouldn't this be the, the point where it's between the two cheatings? I think they would have already got caught for yeah. Spygate, but they haven't gotten caught yet for Spygate. They were caught for Spygate in 07. So that 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. That was Brady's seventh year. Or seventh year starting. Okay, okay, fair. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay. I was going off Super Bowl numbers. Oh, okay. Uh, so there is that's first and second down. So now we're going to get to third down. There we go. Third down. Okay. Well, now that kind of makes me want to change just real quick because I just want to play a little game here because I did see on social media all weekend, and Randy, you saw it as well, where everybody's going back and forth about Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. Uh-huh. So say that you were awarded a team, a franchise right now, mm-hmm. and you're able to just start from scratch. You're able to get so many players in their prime, or if you just even want to say a player in their prime right now, mm-hmm. and you have the first overall pick, who are you taking? This is anybody in their prime ever? How about we do maybe... This century? This century, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's really interesting. I think I would take Trent Williams. Okay. Would Patrick Mahomes at least be in consideration? He, oh, yeah. He's and I the, think that that's yeah. a big part of yeah. that conversation. He's my quarterback. He can play without the great offensive line. He can play under duress. And then what, with what you've seen this season from him... And what that they were yeah. able to do. Right. Going on the road and winning and rallying the team. Absolutely. He's right there at the top. And Brady was a great thrower. I think Mahomes is a better thrower. He's certainly got more mobility. He's got that clutch gene. And so, yeah, I, w- I would take him. And again, no taint of cheating either. Uh, you know, Brady, there's a lot of people that played against him that talk about him looking over to the sidelines when teams were flashing in hand signals. Would you need Patrick Mahomes to go to another team during his career in order to kind of even separate that more between him and Tom Brady, where you could say, well, Tom Brady, you know, he obviously he went to the Bucks. Yeah. Yeah, it, it couldn't hurt. But He's just 28 years old right, right now. But here's the other thing is, and Brady had to do this too, but if you go back to the first Super Bowl, Brady has 
or Mahomes has Kelsey back, his entire wide receiver core has turned over. The entire offensive line has turned over. The entire running back room has turned over. The only, I believe, the only guy that's there from their first Super Bowl, right? Because they turned over the offensive line completely after the Tampa Bay loss in the Super Bowl. None of the wide receivers that are here now in Kansas City were there for the first Super Bowl. Alaire and uh, and Pacheco weren't there, so I believe Ke- Kelsey is the only other offensive starter that's going to play in this Super Bowl that played in their first one. That's that says a lot wow. about those two. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's yeah. true. So yeah, he's he's a stud. He's and the Chiefs give them credit. They traded up to get him. They kind of had an idea of what they were getting, and Andy Reid has coached him up. Fourth down. We'll do a quick fourth down then. And obviously for fourth down, we have to talk about Dan Campbell or Mm -hmm. Dan Gamble, as we like to say. Uh The Lions have won it all year, Randy, by going for it on fourth and short. But this time, Campbell's gamble didn't pay off. Is it more on that decision in this game? If you could if you could point to one thing, because obviously there's a lot of things that happened for the Lions that went wrong after a huge lead in the first half. But would you point to that being as the reason as to why they lost? Is his gambling on that something that he's done all season long? Or was it more on the Reynolds drop and some of the other miscues? I would say in that specific instance, I would have either had a different play call, but I would have kicked the field goal. Fact of the matter is, they lost by three and they didn't kick two field goals. They went for it on fourth down. So at the end of the day, that's the thing. But momentum changes. And here's what happened after the first one. The momentum changes to the point where San Francisco gets the ball back and all of a sudden uh, they they start turning it on. Uh, Purdy to Samuel for 17. Purdy deep to Ayuk for 51. An incredible play. Here's Purdy with a lot of time. Steps into one. Watching deep. Going for Brandon And that ball bounced off the face mask of the defender. Ultimately, Purdy hit Ayuk for the touchdown, and that made it a 24-24 game. So, uh, 24-17 game, I'm, I'm sorry. But that was huge. So, you miss on the fourth and two, and then they come back, take advantage of it, and get within a touchdown. So, that's uh, the momentum swing right there, is that stop by the Niners on Detroit's first possession of the third quarter. And it didn't work out. It just no. it didn't work out for the it Lions. Dan Gamble. I wonder, did we ever have a game where Dan Gamble was, uh, was he coaching against Riverboat Ron? I wonder if we had, we, we had to have that over the last couple of years, right? So I wonder who won. I get so nervous now on where these gamble jokes are going to go. Oh. I don't, I don't know what to expect at this I, I've point, I've done the Randy. best I can, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, that's four downs here on the, uh, on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Are you looking it up, Matthew? He is. Okay. So Riverboat Ron Rivera, he went to a Super Bowl being the Riverboat Gambler. So mm-hmm. that's why they called him Riverboat Ron. And now he's uh, not Yes, big. week two of last season, the Lions beat the Washington Commanders 36-27. to Okay, there you go. I'm sure there were a lot of fourth down gambles in that game. <laughs>
Uh, that's Brooke. That's Matthew. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got Take It or Leave It. Get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. 314 399 Yo-ho! Randy, they... This is actually insane that you called this. Uh, Washington went one of two. Detroit went zero of two on fourth down conversions in that game. There you go. Oh my Riverboat god! Riverboat Ron against no. Dan Gamble. No. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, take it or leave it. Next on one hundred and one ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on one hundred and one ESPN, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for take it or leave it. Want to say something? Want to put it out there? You can take it if you don't. Set it right back. Get your text in to 314-399-9646. And give us your take it or leave it. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. Matthew, I'm Randy. It is the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Danny Mac is with us Tuesdays through Friday, so Dan will be back with us tomorrow on the opening drive. Time for Tioli now. Get your text in, and we want to interact with you. 314-399-9646. 314-399-YOHO! Take it or leave it. Brooke and Matthew. Jim Harbaugh wins the Super Bowl before John Harbaugh does. Oh... Ooh, I might have to take it. I well, think I might too. What is the what is the cap space like for the Ravens? Uh, Ravens are, are they're going to be fine. Say one more time. Fine. Which one? Which brother? I got the brothers. I've got uh, Chargers win before Ravens. Jim before John. Oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave that because uh, the Ravens defensive players play the full season. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I don't know. Is it, I think Jim, by the way, is bringing the strength coach from Michigan. To LA. Is he bringing Connor Stallions too? Maybe. Maybe. Not as a scout. Just as a scout. Just as a scout. Brandon, what is your thought process on <laughs> a, a very a, thorough scout, by the way? On a Big Ten strength coach coming to the NFL. He's got to kind of change his, change his ways, doesn't he? A college strength coach making a million dollars a year. <laughs> how about that? So, but those guys will they'll play, and you saw how big the Michigan offensive linemen were. And by the way, take it or leave it. Uh, one more. Austin Eckler is a free agent. Take it or leave it. Blake Corum is a Charger next season. Ooh, I could. I'll take that one. Yeah, I don't know. What one. do you think? I okay, think so. so do you I think, think so. you think that Jim will before John? I do. I think so. Uh, Jim is. He is a great coach, mm-hmm. and we we were in the midst of watching the 49ers when he got there he went 44 and 19 they were terrible before he got there in the year he got there they were great he he turns things around in a hurry and he's got good players i know they're way over the cap but basically they can get rid of bosa or khalil mack and bosa's been hurt this yes. is joey bosa and then mike williams and they'll be pretty close to being at cap level at that point so take it or leave it the lions will have to hire a new offensive and defensive coordinator this offseason. I'm going to leave that. I don't think Glenn goes anywhere, but I do believe... His name's been out there for a lot of different things. Yeah, but there's only two teams left now, and Ben Johnson's going to get Washington. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Seattle, I I don't think that they'll... I I think they'll probably go with Dan Quinn, ultimately. 
but I, I think that Glenn would be down the list. I think they'll, that Dan Campbell will be able to keep his defensive coordinator. But even so, he could take a coordinator job elsewhere because there's yeah, going to be a true. lot of other openings. Yeah, I wonder if Detroit would block him. I, I think that they've got things going so well there. I, I think that that's a good spot for him. Take it or leave it. The Ray Lewis pregame speech to the Ravens needed a little bit more edge. Didn't quite cut it. He's been through the trials. He understands the sharpness it takes. I'll take it. Take it. A hundred percent. Now, here's the thing. And maybe this is, well, no. (laughs) Oh, no. No. So I wonder if the Ravens thought about wearing their white jerseys at home and lost them. Randy. (laughs) Randy. You look. See what you started. See what you started this Nobody, morning on yeah. this Monday morning. <laughs> Thanks. That's a fantastic text, and I really appreciate it. I, I do appreciate the, the the cutting humor. Oh no! Take it or leave it. The Blues are going to are going to become buyers at the deadline. Leave it. I don't I think they do it. anything. I think they stand pat. I can see that being more likely. Yeah, because they aren't going to give up picks. They're, they they still want to reload this system. There's still another phase to this retool and that includes having a really good group of young players to ascend as some of the old players here phase out and, and so, you have a lot of one-year deals yeah, too that they're gonna have right. to offload yeah which is not a bad thing no one best thing in the world is a one-year deal no such thing yeah. no such thing as overpaying on a one-year deal take it or leave it packers take the north back and make a super bowl run next year i've thought about this and i think i'm going to take it Wow. Ooh, Randy. you're all in on the Jordan Love era, no, huh? Love He's out on the meathead. I think LaFleur is great, and they got rid of Joe Barry, which I think was really important. That's the youngest team in the league, and they're really talented. They are. The Packers are. So, yeah, I see them. I see their trajectory as really good. And things change when you get all the attention that the Lions are getting. And, by the way, they're going to have to pay Jared Goff, which will cause them to not be able to keep some people around. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying they're not going to be really good. They are going to be really good. But I just think the Packers are set up for major success. And that was a really close game against the 49ers that they had. Yeah, it was. Also, if you're going to pay a quarterback $40 million and draft off-ball linebackers and running backs mm-hmm. in the first round... You're you're running you're kind of building on a razor's edge and yeah. you can you can fall one way or the other pretty easily when you're making those kind of decisions. Exactly. It's working now, but what happens in two, three years? Yeah. Uh take it or leave it. Eric Bienemy chose poorly. Oh, uh, you know, that's uh, I I'm gonna leave that. I don't know if he really chose. I think that might have been where he could go. That might have been the spot. Yeah. I think he might be saying why did he why leave Kansas City at all? I think he just felt like it was kind of like when Marvin Lewis left the Ravens. I think he felt like he had to get out of there because Andy Reid is perceived as the genius, which he is. Uh, but I, I think that B enemy probably thought, okay, I don't call plays here and I'm not taken seriously. So he had to go somewhere where he was. But it is interesting how he didn't come up at all during this yeah, coaching cycle. I was very surprised about that. Yeah. And I wonder where he lands, uh, because if Ben Johnson's coming in to be the, off- the head coach of Washington, he'll probably bring in his own guy. I don't know if he sticks with the BNMA. I wonder where Eric lands with, uh, with this hiring cycle. Take it or leave it. Analytics are now helping ruin football. Biggest game in Detroit in 30 years and years of strategic playoff decisions for points thrown out the window. The outcome confirms decisions were wrong. That's not. You're not wrong. All the numbers. I, what happens is, is people think that the numbers are great, and logic and common sense go out the window 
when you feel like, okay, well, there's a better chance of this happening than this happening. Sometimes you just have to watch what's happening in a game. Uh, and I was talking to, to Frank Cusimano and Kevin Wheeler about this last night. So you can talk about analytics, okay? So we're going to go for it on fourth and two. What do the analytics tell you about how Nick Bosa is playing in that game? Right? Sometimes you have to watch the game and understand what's happening. Sometimes if Fred Warner is an animal that night, it's not a good thing to run the ball up the middle against him. Sometimes analytics go out the window because there are individual things that happen in individual plays or games that need to be paid attention to. Do you think that that was an analytical decision, though, or just more of it's what he's done? It's it's kind of what analytics have become. Fourth and two, uh, they, they've got the numbers that say oh, you got a 62% chance of making it. I, th- I believe that, yeah, analytics are definitely playing a role here and played a role. And he just liked night. the odds yeah. of his guys? Yeah. That's the thing with Harbaugh, too. John Harbaugh is so in on the analytics, and it comes back to burn him a lot. Yeah, I, I think it was a. I think he's just a guts guy. Like you said, he's a meathead. He kind of is a meathead. <laughs> Take it or leave it. We will you see saying Taylor. he doesn't like numbers because he's a meathead? No, I'm saying that I don't think. I think there's a lot of coaches that have somebody in the year or have somebody right next there to them. They're saying, mm-hmm. hey man, 27% chance versus 40% chance. These are the numbers based on the scoring projections. You know, if we need to go for two and stuff like that. I don't think Dan Campbell, I think Dan Campbell has a situational guy, but I think that pro- person probably doesn't have the analytical heft that maybe Brandon Staley's personal guy did. We mm-hmm. saw how that went with four. Yeah, really. Uh, take, <laughs> take it or leave it. We will see Taylor Swift at least three times from kickoff until the end of the Super Bowl. I'm taking the over on that one, sir. So, question number one. Is Taylor going to be able to make it back okay. in... Somebody broke it down. Are you, is that what you're bringing up? The Ron? Ravel tweet? Yes, where he broke down the possibility of how she would be able to... Okay, how is this going to happen? Uh, according to Ravel... Um, Taylor Swift performs in Japan the night before the Super Bowl. It will end around 10 p.m. Tokyo time, which is 5 a.m. Las Vegas time. The flight from Tokyo to Vegas takes 12 hours, meaning Swift can arrive at 5 p.m. local on the day before the Super Bowl, 25 hours, 35 minutes before kickoff. That oh, is per Darren okay. Ravel. Good. Then I will say yes. I uh, Over under three, I will bet. I think that let's go two and a half. I'm going over. over. Yeah, Yeah, I'm going over. It it really depended upon how Kelsey's playing. If Kelsey scores touchdowns, they're going to show her sweep. Oh, and also I lost my prop bet this weekend about Jason Kelsey being shirtless. But he did wear a Hawaiian shirt, Randy. That was pretty classy. I loved it, yeah. Yeah, something tells me he he had some equity in the household, and he didn't want to spend it all Did you see Travis say, oh, you wore a shirt? That's good. Yeah, I like that. Um, I I also think the Taylor Swift thing with the Super Bowl, you got to go over two and a half because she's getting shown, like, her reaction to Usher's halftime show, right? What like if she's like, what if she's in the halftime don't, don't, show? Yeah, don't, is there, no, a, is there a prop bet no. for that? It's, the, the problem is it's dark in the stadium. That's true. Yeah, you're right. During I, the I, halftime yeah, show. Yeah, they aren't going to show her during the halftime well, that's show. Well, that's why she has to be a part of the halftime that show. That would be right? insane. But she's also said she's never going to do that because they charge the person who they charge the performer to do the halftime. Yeah, they do. And she, she, she's like, on principle, I'll never do the halftime show for the NFL. Because she doesn't feel like she needs to pay for it. She should and I think, be. What, the reason that she's never done it before is because the halftime show was Pepsi and she was Coke. I think that might have been another but reason. But now it's not Pepsi anymore. But I wonder if there might be some conflict in terms of who she is associated with uh, from a business standpoint and who the halftime show is associated with. Last one. Take it or leave it. T. Higgins to the Chiefs. Leave it. I'm going to leave it. He's going to the Titans. Titans yeah. 
So uh, the Chiefs don't have enough money what? to get him. I was going to. I don't know that. what you're talking about. Yeah. He's going to the Titans. Yeah. I haven't heard any other rumors, right, guys? No, nothing. None okay, of these. good. Only All the right. Titans. I mean, I was going to leave it. Evan Cohen told me that if you have a good, t- if you have a good quarterback and an, an elite generational tight end, you just never need wide receivers. You don't need them. No, you can win Super Bowls without wide receivers. Happens all the time. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Why not? I mean, look at all those Super Bowl championships that Antonio Gates and Tony Gonzalez have. Mm. Maybe that's what the Titans were doing. That's They were trying to prove that, right? They yes. just needed Derrick Henry. That was that's, it. That's all you need. By the way, if uh, Arthur Smith winds up as offensive coordinator of the Steelers, which is being rumored, nice. does Derrick Henry wind up in Pittsburgh? I could actually see that. Yeah. Be might have to take that. Yeah. Uh, there you have it. Thanks for your text. Coming up. Who had the worst Sunday? Was it Zay Flowers or Dan Campbell? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the Opening Drive's fresh take. I just felt really good about us converting and uh, getting our momentum and and not letting them play long ball. Um, you know, they were bleeding the clock out. That's what they do. Um, and I wanted to get the upper hand back, um, you know, and it's easy hindsight, and I get it, you know. Um, I get that. But I don't regret those decisions. That's Lions head coach Dan Campbell after his team's loss yesterday in the NFC Championship game, 34-31 to the San Francisco 49ers. And a couple of second-half, fourth-down attempts that didn't go the Lions' way. And a lot of people believe that they were in position to kick field goals. And uh, he was trying to steal back momentum in a game they had all the momentum in. And that's the thing. It's To me... You get momentum and you you put the other team on their heels by scoring. And just those, and we don't know if the field goals would have gone through the uprights, but those two field goals, if you hit them, give you six points and you wound up losing 34-31. That's the thing that is hard to get past. And I know that there was a lot of other mistakes in the game. And it seems like people are pretty split because you want to pin it on just one thing, right? But those were coaches' decisions there when you're talking about fourth down and the decision to go for it. And I know that that's part of his identity. That's him showing he has complete trust in his players. But I think that also different situations. It's a situational thing, right? It's a situational thing of what happens during the regular season. How you coach during the regular season is different than how you coach during the playoffs in the postseason. I mean, look at the Chiefs. I feel like we've seen so many different versions of them throughout the season. And you can even say the version of them yesterday was different than what you've seen throughout the season because they've been there and they have done that. I know that you do have Patrick Mahomes, but Patrick Mahomes wasn't necessarily the star of the game for the Chiefs. It was more of that they played to what they needed to in that moment and what it called for. And Brooke, there's an old coaching axiom and... Analytics have changed this, but an old belief, an old coaching credo that you can never go wrong if your possession ends with a kick, whether it's an extra point or a field goal or a punt. Point to point. Right? But now you're trying to put the the game into the hands of other people and take it out of kickers. And by the way, this is an NFL thing. They... The, the league doesn't want kicks. They don't want field goals. They, that's why they move the extra point back. They, they aren't big fans of the kicking game. Because it's not as cool. Right. 
and, and you, you don't score as many points. Right. Yeah. It's not. But it, coaches want sevens rather than threes. But there are still instances, and I think this was one of them, especially in the third quarter, where a three was better than trying for it on fourth down. And if you go up 27 to 10, to me, the game is completely different. If it's a three-score game and you kind of take Christian McCaffrey being handed off to out of the game, I think it makes a huge difference. Well, and that's the thing is another big difference between regular season and playoffs is that there's a reason why there's only a certain amount of teams that have made it to this point. It's because when you do make mistakes then you're going to have a team like the 49ers that's going to then capitalize on every single mistake that you make and then take the momentum in the game. And we should point out, this was a great opportunity for Detroit. But from the start of the season until last night, everybody pretty much that watches football knew San Francisco was the better team. Yes. Maybe that makes it worse because Detroit had an opportunity to beat the the better team on the road. Yeah. Maybe it makes it worse. But the better team did win the game. They did. And we haven't talked about it yet, but Brock Purdy, for him, I know in the first half there, it wasn't exactly a great game for the 49ers as we were just discussing, but what he was able to do towards the end of the game, I think that it really changes the conversation because he not only was able to use his arm, but his feet as well, which I think is something that a lot of people hold against him. And to me, he just showcased so much poise, Ray. I don't know if you noticed as well, but determination, he was just so cool and calm. And I know that we call Joe Burrow Joe Cool. What do you call Brock Purdy, especially after seeing him this weekend? Mr. Easygoing? Because I don't want to call him Mr. Irrelevant anymore. Yeah, I I don't know. We have to come up with a name for him. but Because he's more than a game manager, we know that. He just doesn't drop back and So you believe that yeah. that title is finally has been shed. If if people are paying attention it's been shed. Meanwhile, in the early game, Zay Flowers had a touchdown on a great play early in the game. He had 5 catches for 115 yards, but he'll re- be remembered for two things that weren't catches. He'll be remembered for a fumble at the 2-yard line which he he was trying to make a play and he fumbled the ball in, in and that would have been a major game changer. But then also the lack of discipline. Well, there were three things. The lack of discipline with the taunting call. And then after the fumble, he goes back to the bench and is pounding on the bench and cuts his hand. It was not, even though the numbers would say it, that his day was great. It was not the best day for Zay Flowers. No, it was not. I mean, the taunting call, and I know that you can argue it either way, where maybe it was soft. I, To me, maybe. No, you don't think so? I think if you spin the ball next to a player you're going to get called in the moment I mean, for me it's and all that's about what, where it goes to the lack of discipline yeah. for me it's all about how you react to plays in the moment and like as it was happening i was like this is going to get this is going to be a flag and it took about two or three seconds and then it came and i was like yeah you i mean you stand over guy first of all it's you push him down mm-hmm. maybe you get away with it you push him down stand over him flex combination of things you're not getting away with it no. you, you can go maybe one of the things but not all three and it's yeah. a little bit different when it happens in the end zone right yes. Yep. Yeah. Right. It's if, it's, if, if that happens in the end zone, that was Stephen Jackson's thing, rolling the dice and spinning the ball. Yes. You can do it after a touchdown, but you just can't do it on the field of play where you just beat a guy. Yeah. If somebody texted in early and they were like, well, what about the Kelsey uh, taunting in the end zone? You can get you. You can bring your offensive zone. line down and and do a can can yeah. in front of the entire <laughs> stadium, you and the, you don't get penalized yeah. at all for it. It's different in the end zone. The end zone changes how football the, the rules work in football. They are pretty much with now. every rule overall. If it's in the end zone, the rules 
feels a little bit different. Yep. But that's the the whole purpose of it. Outside of Zay Flowers and what happened there, in general, he wasn't the only one. You could tell that the Ravens, that they let it all get to him because there were so many different moments, too. I mean, there was, what, five personal foul penalties for the Ravens? Was it that many? It, it probably was, yeah. It felt like a yeah. lot. I think it was around five. Yeah. But you had two on one defensive series. Yes, yes. And so Smith and it Jones. wasn't just Zay Flowers, but that one that's something that you have to give credit to the Chiefs defense again of what they were able to do. The breakdown in the game, the Chiefs three penalties for thirty yards, the Ravens eight penalties for ninety five. Yeah, it was bad. It was it it was a bad day for the Baltimore Ravens, the number one seed. That is today's Fresh Take here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Blues are red hot. Chris Kerber, the voice of said Blues, joins us next on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Curbside with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite Contractor. have won five in a row, including the last three in overtime by four three scores. They did it yesterday against the Kings. Braden Chen scoring the game winner, and the Blues will take on Columbus tomorrow night. Six o'clock pregame, seven o'clock faceoff here on 101 ESPN with Chris Kerber at the call, and Kerbs joins us now as he does every Monday morning on the opening drive. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Randy, I'm doing good. How are you? Good. I didn't see this coming. I got to tell you that. Yeah, you know what? Well, I can't say that I saw it coming either. Uh, but at the same time, I can't say that I didn't see it coming. Like, this, that's just the crazy part about this year for the Blues is on a night-in, night-out basis, just haven't been sure exactly what we're going to see. And a couple times when they look like they've been able to get on a roll, it's been stumped, and not just stumped by one game, but stumped by two or three or four games. So... The fact that they put the five games together now really starts to, you know, all right, they're, they're figuring some things out. And the fact that so many of these have been come from behind uh, also, I don't know whether it's fool's gold or whether it's real, but all that matters is the fact that they're doing it. And that's, that's the best part about sports. doesn't matter what we think. Every segment is always about what do you think is going to happen. Well, here's the one thing I know. Nobody can predict the dang future, right? So, that's where I've learned in sports to really just enjoy the moment, and this team's putting us on a fun one already. Curbs, I think you can really tell that they're just absolutely buzzing right now because we were talking about this earlier, but Braden Shen, after yesterday's game, he talked about how they have a belief in their locker room now that they can get it done every single night. Of course, winning is a cure-all, but what else do you think that it could be that is bringing this group together? Goaltending. Uh, I think their goaltending has been great all season long. I think, and, and this, this is... Well, this, I mean, this is oversimplifying. I'm not sitting in the room with all the analytics and stuff, but uh, your power play is clicking at 23%. There's a difference between 23% and 8%. You know, it, it's it's clicking at a time where it's getting you a big goal. And Joe, Joe and I debated this in the postgame show, and when we, we put it up on the Curbside Reaction podcast for today's, for last night's game, it's on today's episode. But, like, did the power play do its job last night? Like, that's the question. Okay, so they go one for six. They got you a very important power play goal. That's doing its job. They gave up a goal before they did that. That's not doing the job. And then you went 0 for 5 on the other ones. So did it do its job? Yes or no? And 
And so it maybe maybe a little bit it did, but it could have been a biggest a bigger difference maker. But the reality of it is is that power play and special teams have been coming through in a big way during this stretch. I know they gave up a power play goal to Vancouver, but a late a late penalty kill was absolutely enormous. You know, so there there are things that have that, that that are going right, and special teams has to be a major part of it. Curbs, another thing that's happened, and we see this uh, especially over the course of the last three games, the tenacity that you need to play three-on-three and succeed three-on-three and the goaltending that you need makes a difference. And when you win three games like the Blues have in a row by four three overtime scores, that shows a lot to me, and Braden Shen is kind of the, uh, the face of this, but the grit that the Blues are showing. Yeah, you know what they are. They're there's something about the system and Drew Bannister has called it, you know, the buy-in of doing the little things. And he, he said it many times, we just had to get better defensively. And if we did that, you hope the offense would come. And, and, and that's what's happening. And now you're getting some offense more from Butch Navich. Braden Shen's back on a bit of a heater, you know, so you look at that and, and, and they're not getting their dauber down. You're not seeing heads hang when, when a goal gets scored. You're not, you're not seeing some of the same body language you were seeing earlier on in the year. And, uh, and it's, and, and they're finding a way to come from behind. I'll tell you what, another amazing aspect, Randy, like the, this team, and, I, and I, I was curious about this going into this season. How, is the, how are the Blues going to be on face-offs? Robert Thomas had hit 50% in, you know, one time in his career. He'd been elevating it, right, you know, each year, but they hadn't done it consistently yet. Kevin Hayes, you know, you know around that 50%, Braden Shen just below it. And the face-offs this year for the Blues have been just outstanding. You look at the overtimes that the St. Louis Blues have had, one of the reasons they've been as successful is they've been able to get the puck first. That's such a big mm-hmm. part of overtime, and face-offs have been a huge key for that. Well, what did you think as you talked about Braden Shin and how good this stretch has been for him, but what about Pavel Buchnevich and this stretch for him too, especially during the road trip? It seems like he was able to kind of get back on track too. And also I have to ask, what did you think about his kayaking celebration? <laughs> All right, I haven't had a chance to find out exactly what the car, um, what the uh, what, what the kayaking thing was about. He, I heard his post game comments, and I'm not sure I fully got the grasp of it. But so <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to wait for that explanation, you know. But you know, the, the thing for Pavel, I, I liken it kind of back to Jaden Schwartz a little bit in that 18-19 season. Schwartz had a really bad regular season offensively for him. But he was getting chances, and no matter what he tried, nothing was going in. Then all of a sudden in the playoffs, he exploded, had the two hat-tricks, and finished the playoffs with more goals than he had in the regular season. Um, I I worry about offensive players if you don't see them getting chances or you don't see them engaged. That's your sign. In in this case, or or if you just see them constantly, and that's not been the case here. He's still effective penalty killing. There's still great chances shorthanded. He's getting opportunities on the power play, and they, for a while they just weren't going in, and now they started finally going in again. He's a heck of a hockey player, you know. And I, and I thought until the season that going into this season, I think he was your best two-way, you know, full-time forward. And I think Robert Thomas has probably taken over that spot this season. But Pavel Butchnevich is right there. And you worry if they don't get the chances, Brooke. He was getting the chances, and now it's finally going through. And, little extra confidence, a little feel-good makes a big difference. Curbs, after tomorrow, the Blues don't play again until February 10th. Obviously, they have the All-Star break and then that full week off, and they play Buffalo on February 10th. 
What do you think of the long break? In the midst of this hot streak, what do you think of the break? Uh, and you, nothing you can do about it, but is it a, is it a bad time to get the break? Yeah, the, yeah, they're feeling it right now. So that'll put a pause in it. It'll give Justin Falk a chance to get healthy. If any other guys are banged up, Tory Krug, I know, blocked a massive shot uh, the the other day in uh, in Seattle. Um, you know, and... and uh, we saw Perunovic. Don't know what his situation is. Won't know that till today. He went down, didn't finish the game yesterday. So it, it'll be important along those lines. But, yeah, we've seen teams come out of these long breaks a bit rusty. So uh, the good news is is the league kind of balanced it. So nobody play, you're not coming out of the break playing another team that's been playing for a week and a half, right? You're, you're playing another team that's coming out of the break. So that that's a bit of a positive, but – yeah, you hope that whatever vibe they could take into this is a good one, and to get back to get up to six games over five hundred, and and to continue to build there is, is so critically important. And I mean, just just the fact that shoot, you got thirty four games to go, you're tied in points for the top wild card spot, you're in the second wild card spot, and have destiny on your stick. That's pretty good. It's fantastic. Now, hockey people during these breaks, they go to Mexico. What part of Mexico are you going to, Curbs? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to. I actually, I actually have a pretty good uh, stretch planned here. I'm taking um, uh, Gabrielle, our middle daughter. She's a junior in high school. We're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go visit UNKC. She's interested in the medical world. Cool. So we're gonna do a college visit there, um, and then I'm gonna head down to Louisville and visit Gracie for a couple of days. I'm sure Ava's got some soccer in there, and you know when you got a when the kids are in school and your wife's a teacher, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to break away to Mexico. So, <laughs> exactly. But I will go ahead and uh, make a margarita, put it a sombrero, and I'll send you a picture from one of those places. Sounds great, Curbs. Good to hear your voice. Thanks so much, and uh, enjoy your break. All right, guys. Have an awesome week. Thanks. You too. See you later. That's the Voice of the Blues. Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, I think we need a fighter, right? Yep. Uh, all you have to do is text in 314-399-9646. Yo ho Text in with your name and the word fight, and perhaps Matthew will pick you to fight against me here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. To the fight in the here alongside Randy Carriker. Danny Mack will be back in tomorrow and we have Matthew Rocchio and it is time for the fight. Our fighter today is Dan. Dan, how are you doing? Doing great. Are you excited to take on Randy in the fight? I am. Yeah, first time. Oh, first time. How long have you been trying to get in? Uh, At least a couple years for sure. Ooh. All right. So you've been waiting for this one. Are you ready to get started with question number one? Absolutely. All right, Dan. Question number one. We will now have a rematch of Super Bowl 54 between the Niners and Chiefs. Which Chiefs player was the only one to score multiple touchdowns in that game? Was it Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, or Damian Williams? Uh, Tyreek Hill. Travis Kelsey broke 
his most impressive record, passing Jerry Rice for career playoff receptions with 156. Other than Kelsey and Reich, Rice, excuse me, which Patriot is the only other player in league history to break 100 playoff catches? Is that Wes Welker, Rob Gronkowski, or Julian Edelman? Julian Edelman. Question three. Which team did Kobe Bryant score his 81 points against? Was it the Supersonics, the Raptors, or the Spurs? Uh, Raptors. And the final question. Where did Johnny Unitas play his college football? Was that Michigan, Alabama, or Louisville? Uh, Michigan. Sorry, I had to make sure with Brooke that I said Louisville, right? Why are you checking say, with me? I'm not Southern from Louisville. Enough? I know you're not from there, but the you know you're my, you're my you're my Mason Dixon line, oh, you know, codex, if you will. <laughs> no. We're gonna double check this score, and then we're gonna bring in <laughs> At Randy. At least Carriger. you didn't say Louisville. No, yeah, Louisville. Louisville. All right. All right, Dan. How are you feeling after that? Uh, not bad. Okay. Yeah, we'll, there, we'll see. What do you? What is your favorite sport? All the ones that we discuss, because you got a little bit of everything uh, they, today. Baseball definitely did not get many baseball questions. Oh, no baseball questions. Hey, maybe you still did well despite the no baseball questions. And Randy is in here now. Oops. Randy, say hi to Dan. Dan, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing well, Randy. Thanks for How listening. Thanks for playing. I'm doing great. Appreciate it. This is his first yeah. time facing you. He's been waiting oh. for years for this moment. Well, I'm glad that you're with us. I'm glad you finally made it through. Cool. All right. You ready for question number one, Randy? Ready. We will now have a rematch of Super Bowl 54 between the Niners and the Chiefs. Which Chiefs player was the only one to score multiple touchdowns in that game? In the game against the Niners, uh, Super Bowl 54. Um, let's see. I'm going to say, uh, hold on. I'm going to go with a receiver. Should I go with Kelsey? Maybe. Um, I think I'll go with Tyreek, though. I think I'll go with Tyreek Hill. Travis Kelsey broke his most impressive record, passing Jerry Rice for career playoff receptions with 156. Other than Kelsey and Rice, which Patriot is the only other player in league history to break 100 playoff catches? Is it Welker or is it Gronk? I'm going to go with Gronk. I'm, I'm going to not go with Stanley Steamboat Morgan. Question number three. Which team did Kobe Bryant score his 81 points against? Toronto. Toronto Raptors. <laughs> Phil Jackson turns to Tex Winter and said, should I take him out? And Phil ja- uh, Tex Winter says, coach, he's got 77. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> do, you think, do you think Tex Winter just like left it on that and Phil like turned back to him? So are you saying yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Where did Johnny Unitas play his college football, Randy? Johnny U. Okay, he started with the uh, in the NFL with the Steelers actually, and got cut by the Steelers before he went to the Colts. Glad I didn't use that trivia question. Yeah, uh, I think I'll know this if you give me the uh, the old lifeline. So I'll just do the lifeline here. Was it Michigan? No. Alabama or Louisville? Louisville. It was a Louisville Cardinal. Louisville. Did I get it right? Louisville. What? Why are you guys <laughs> both asking me? Looks mad that I said it right. Right? You see? Yes. Yeah, uh, you know how to say that? You know, Nashville. 
We're trying. Yes. We're new to the SEC, bro. Yes, we're oh, on. new to the SEC. You guys are part of Wolves the SEC. Well, ironically enough, not part of the SEC in this example, but nonetheless, still, we got we got to figure out this Southern stuff, Brooke. That's why we're we're just we're going to you for a little assistance. Louisville. Well, there, okay, got it, Chris. So <laughs> Louisville. Uh, we have a tie. We have a tie in today's fight, and so what's going to happen here? Because Dan, you've never done this before, so I'm going to go through the the rules here really quickly. I will read out the tiebreaker question. We will then give Randy Carricker a moment to write down his answer. We will then get your answer, Dan, audibly, and then Randy Carricker will tell us what his answer is. He can show it up to the uh, camera and everything, and then whoever closest to the pin is going to win today's fight. So, Randy Carricker, are you ready? I'm ready. Dan, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Tony La Russa sits at number two in all-time manager wins in Major League Baseball history, but unlike Connie Mack, TLR has a winning record. How many wins does Tony have as a manager? You gotta add in. You gotta add in those White Sox wins from the second from the second stage. Yeah. So, how many wins does Tony Larusa have as a manager? Give us a moment here, Dan, as Randy Carricker is writing down his answer. Randy Carricker, let me see this again. Sorry. Okay, Randy Carricker has wrote down his answer. Dan, what is your answer, sir? Hey, well, I appreciate you going with the baseball question. Hey, so. no problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with uh, 2890. 2890. All right. Are you quick, mathing quick over math. there? I'm mathing really quickly right now. He's mathing hard, okay? Sorry, guys. I'm mathing really hard right now. <laughs> All right. His uh, The guess from Dan was 2890. Randy Carricker, what was your guess, sir? I guessed 2284. All right. We have a winner in today's fight. Does Randy Carricker start another week where he comes off as an undefeated winner with another win, or does Dan, a first-timer, walk away with a championship ring? That bell. The winner and new champion of the fight, Average Joe Listener. The fight is driven by CarShield. Plans to fit any budget. Visit CarShield.com today. Congratulations, Dan. You hit that one almost completely on the head. Tony Larusa just over 2,800 wins for his career. Of course, that second White Sox stint gives him over 2,800 wins. And Randy Carricker, I'm sorry, he, he beat you in today's fight. Let's go through those questions and those answers because this was a fascinating fight, a 2-2 tie. Uh, and you guys got a bunch of different ones correct. So let's go through these, this one. The rematch of Super Bowl 54 now between the Niners and the Chiefs. Which Chiefs player was the only one to score multiple TDs in that game? That was Damian Williams, who caught a pass oh. from Mahomes and then ran it in from 33 yards out uh, for the last two touchdowns. Travis Kelsey broke the Jerry Rice record playoff career reception with 156. It's actually Julian Edelman who has over 110 for the Patriots. Rob Gronkowski finished with 98 in his career. Tyreek Hill has 96 career playoff receptions, which is insane. Which team did Kobe score 81 points against? The Raptors. And of course, Jalen Rose never lived it down the rest of his life. And where did Johnny Unitas play his college football? I did not know until yesterday that both Baltimore stars are Louisville quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Johnny Unitas from Louisville. And then the winner in the tiebreaker, Dan. So you will join us for another fight tomorrow. Congratulations. Congratulations on the win today, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. Dan, thanks for being with us. And by the way, it was, uh, I, I just, I messed up my second digit. I knew that Tony w- finished with 20 something 84. I wrote down 2284. It was actually 2884, right? I, yep. I just miss, oh, miswrote. So close, but Randy. This, is, this, this highlights what has to happen for you to beat the best. 
They they have to they have to slip up a little bit and 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 we, we saw it over the weekend. The best for you to get a chance, they gotta they gotta make their mistakes and you know something sometimes these happen. And was, somebody slips by, Randy. Just I was having a conversation with Donnie Fandango in the hallway. I said, you know, kind of like the Blues. The, what the Buff? He's a huge Buffalo Bills fan. Mm-hmm. Said sometimes you you need to win a game where you aren't playing well, and that's what the Blues have been able to do. They've been able to win games where they haven't been at their best. The Bills aren't able to do that against Kansas City, unfortunately. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, does Tyler O'Neill's explanation of his relationship with Ali Marmol change how we view some of the Cardinal issues from last year? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. on the A.J. Pruszynski podcast, Foul Territory, late last week and talked about uh, leaving St. Louis and, and starting over in Boston. And he didn't really brook talk much during the course of the season after his kerfuffle early in the season about his relationship with the Cardinal skipper. No, he really didn't. But Randy, I think also he was injured for a good portion of that. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if he was necessarily around enough to talk in the clubhouse. I don't think he was. No. But in this interview, I think that there's many different takeaways and ways to look at this. But they started out on this foul territory interview asking him about if you believe he will have kind of the same success story as Randy Rosarina and Adolis Garcia when he leaves the Cardinals. I mean, I'm not as big as strong as you. I would have been like, hey, man, where's this dude at? Like, I want to I want to get after this guy. So, I mean, I give you credit. You handled it well. I would have been a little more angry, but aren't you glad, like, you can kind of maybe put that behind you now? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think in the moment I handled it the right way. You know, obviously you don't want to create any kind of division like that, but um, – you know, it was uh, it was it was quite the situation for sure, man. Um, you know, I'm happy it's all behind us, and um, you know, Aldi and I were able to move past it. Um, but you know, I think at the end of the day, it, it kind of turned into respect at an arm's length. Um, and you know, I, I just I'm looking forward to again this new opportunity and coming in with a fresh slate um, and just working out, working hard. Um, you know, getting after it every day and and proving myself again. Um, you know, a new division, new team, all that. So we're going to play that other soundbite in a minute where I was talking about specifically where he was talking about Radio Rosarina and Dolis Garcia. But there, where he's asked about his relationship with Ali Marmol, he said the right things. He did. And I think the way that they solved their relationship and was were able to draw some mutual respect at arm's length is by being away from each other. That's how they solve their relationship issues is by Tyler O'Neill winding up in Boston. And by the way, I think it's interesting that he said he's looking forward to working out. It's, I'm glad that uh, that he does that. But many times there are problems between bosses and employees. And Ali was the manager and Tyler O'Neill was the player and doesn't seem like they just got along very well. And it's a natural thing to happen. And the best thing to happen for Tyler O'Neill is to get out of here. Well, and there was many different things that happened 
with the Cardinals that became bigger than the game that was actually being played. And I don't think it's a coincidence that you have the Tyler O'Neill situation, regardless of maybe some other players felt like he was an issue in that clubhouse. But then you had the Wilson Contreras situation that also involved a lot of the pitchers. It seemed like there was constantly something going on where I don't think it's a coincidence, Rainey, I don't know if you do either, that this offseason there was such an emphasis on bringing in former players, players who have that experience, that knowledge, that know-how, who maybe wouldn't put up with certain things like that happening Mm -hmm. again. Don't you think that that's kind of a theme that's going on here? Because it just got so out of hand, I felt like, last season. It is. uh, The clubhouse needs that sort of attitude and leadership. That's the best word for it in that clubhouse. And Ollie mentioned that he needs to be better than he was last year, that he wasn't as good as he could have been either. But ultimately, he's the guy that needs to establish the leadership of the clubhouse. He's he's the guy that this team needs to reflect, and he needs to have the right personality for that. And he didn't last year. Hopefully, that'll change this year. Well, does that kind of concern you, the fact that maybe that there was even more issues than we knew about, the fact that you would have to have such an emphasis on bringing in so many different leaders into the club this season? Yeah, because you're paying a lot of money for guys that you brought in to be leaders in Goldie and Arenado. And Wayno was here, but Wayno was here, but he wasn't. It's really hard when you aren't a productive player to be a leader. And the Cardinals, this is one thing about the Matt Carpenter signing. They didn't have that guy on their bench. And when you look at the real good teams under Tony La Russa, whether it was John Mabry or Eric Davis or Sean Dunstan, uh, they had a lot of guys, people like Miguel Cairo, uh, that... Uh, we're able to bring some veteran leadership to the clubhouse. And the fact that last year you had essentially a rookie bench, you had no leadership from anybody that wasn't playing every day. And that really does make a difference for for teams. I, I think that having people that have played and understand the rigors of a six-month season, I think it makes a big difference. And that's hopefully the one thing that Matt Carpenter brings to the table. And you can speak to this more than I can, because obviously you were here for the Tony La Russa era, but I always heard stories about that he would have his clubhouse leaders, the veterans, the guys in there who were kind of in charge of manning the club, managing the clubhouse, and if it ever, for whatever reason, which it didn't seem like it would, if it would somehow be something that couldn't be solved by those leaders, then it would go to Tony La Russa. Right. Is that what they're trying to emulate here? I hope so. But again, and this is a young team. It's, Tony always had veteran teams, but Tony was a veteran. By the time Tony got here, he'd been to three World Series and won. He, he was an established winner. He was regarded as the best manager in the game. That's just something that Ali hasn't done yet, that Ali is going to have to experience and he's going to have to earn to be that guy. But if you are a young player and Ali Marmal brings you into the clubhouse after things don't work out with the leadership in the clubhouse, then it's probably time for you to go, like it was with Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, and the Tyler O'Neill situation, I think that one, there was a lot of other factors that happened there. And I understand Ali Marmal calling him out for loafing it. And even that could be up to discussion of, you know, basically if the, it should have been that way. There's a lot of different factors happening there. But the fact of the matter is, is that should have gotten to that point where it was so public. Because remember, even Mosellock mentioned that he kind of wished that it would have stayed behind closed doors. It always should. In terms of hustling, and Ali did say, hey, that's not the way we do things here. But he singled one guy out. And that's what hurts is players, if the the coach or manager says, about the team. Hey, we need to play better. That's one thing. But uh, Craig Bruby was really good about that. He he didn't he he would single guys out, but 
in general, the, the whole team took the brunt of it, too. It's hard to single one guy out and then have him respond in a positive manner like that. And just real quick before we go, because I teased this earlier, where he was asked about if he will be kind of similar in the way of Randy Rosarina and Dolis Garcia having a lot of success after they leave. Here's Tyler O'Neill's response to that. Absolutely. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's definitely the goal. I'm more thinking about providing for Boston rather than, um, you know, what I could have been for St. Louis at this point. But, um, you know, to mention those two names of Rosarina and, and Garcia, man, I played with those guys in the minor leagues a little bit, the big leagues shortly. Um, with the Cardinals, with those guys. And uh, you can just tell the talent was oozing out of them. Um, so, it, it's, you know, it's just a matter of time for guys like that. And, um, you know, you saw them pop off last year, which is awesome. So, you know, I'm, again, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting in that new environment, um, playing every day and just having that having that freedom to, you know, go out and play and fail, uh, you know, have, have it all part of the game. Maybe I'm just reading into it a little bit too much, but is that just maybe the tiniest of digs where he says that they were just oozing talent when he played with mm-hmm. them? Because what's the narrative around Randy or Rosarina and Dolis Garcia? They just didn't get a chance here. They didn't get a chance and that maybe they were overlooked. Yep. Maybe that was a little bit of a dig. Yeah, but Tyler O'Neill got more than enough opportunities here. He, he just couldn't stay on the field. No. And John Moselak said when he traded him, he said he's going to get MVP votes. He's got that sort of talent, but the question about Tyler O'Neill is, is he going to be able to stay on the field? No. And that's and that's a very fair question, considering what we saw last season. Because, okay, you did have that situation with Ollie. He could have had a chance to really redeem himself, which I know that he played for a little bit, but then he gets injured again. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't look like it, it's working out. It doesn't help that story. No, he's... For a guy that works out as much as he does, he's amazingly fragile. You said that he just needs a burger. A you, couple well, of burgers. Burger, dog, steak, beer, Reese's. Uh, he, he needs something like that. You need to get him the box of Reese's. Hey, uh, a, a guy who played for his team, the Red Sox, famously said, Rod Beck did, you can't pull fat. <laughs> it's so true, though. You can't. No. no. So that's what Tyler O'Neill needs to understand. He needs a little fat on that body. Just a little bit. Yep. Uh that is our look at Tyler O'Neill. Coming up, we've got the Rush Hour Reset coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Bring the biggest sports stories of the day on the Opening Drive with a Rush Hour Reset. It is 9.04 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Super Bowl 58 set for Vegas. Two weeks from yesterday, it will be the Kansas City Chiefs for the fourth time in five years in the Super Bowl, taking on the San Francisco 49ers. Chiefs beating Baltimore at Baltimore yesterday by a score of 17-10. to 10, And the Niners storm back from a 24-7 halftime deficit, and they beat the Detroit Lions 34-31. to 31. I... I don't think I can be convinced otherwise that I should be just betting on the Chiefs from here on out. We said it last week, you should never underestimate the heart of a champion. And by the way, the 49ers are the favorites heading into this game. At least the early line has uh, San Francisco as the favorite. But after this weekend, are you buying into that still? I think it's going to be a great game. I think it can go either way. But I I think I would tend, if I I had to put my own hard-earned money on it, I would bet on... 
Patrick Mahomes doing something to give his team a victory. Well, not just that, but the Chiefs' defense is what you're betting on. Yeah, right. Because I thought thought that it was going to be a very close game, and it could be determined by the defenses between the Ravens and the Chiefs. Two really good defenses. But I wasn't expecting that from the Chiefs' defense. And I feel even bad for that because I've been – Randy, I've been Mm -hmm. big on the Chiefs' defense all Mm -hmm. season, and even then I was kind of buying into the national narrative of, well, they're good, but they can't be that good against the Ravens. They're really talented and they're really well coached, and yeah, I'm uh, I'm all in on the Chiefs' defense. There's something else, and obviously the the big guy is the most expensive guy, Chris Jones. But he didn't have a monster day yesterday. It wasn't but the just rest about of him. Defensive backfield was great. The Sneed and McDuffie, the corners, are great. They've just got a really good, well-oiled unit, and by all accounts, really, really smart. And uh, they get after the quarterback. Do you feel like the Chiefs have almost turned into a villain story now? After it seemed like early on with Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. that it was a very lovable story, people liked it, but now they're creating this dynasty and they're so dominant. And Patrick Mahomes is in a league of his own right now mm-hmm. amongst all the quarterbacks. Do you feel like they're almost turning into a villain story in a lot of different ways? Because then you add the Taylor, if, just to add mm-hmm. the Taylor Swift stuff to it. But outside of that, even if Taylor Swift wasn't a part of the story, it kind of seems like they're almost turning into the villains of the league. Look at who the most hated teams in sports are. The Dallas Cowboys, they used to win a lot. The New York Yankees, the St. Louis Cardinals, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Boston Celtics, the Duke Blue Devils basketball, formerly Notre Dame football, Alabama football. The teams that people hate are the teams that win a lot. You want to be hated. And the Chiefs are absolutely in that territory now. Although, I think Mahomes is so likable. And, And Kelsey. And I know that there's people... They just don't want to see a woman involved with football, and that's why they don't like the idea of Taylor Swift being the girlfriend of Travis Kelsey and being shown on TV. But I think most rational people like that part of the story, too. The most recognizable person in the world now being at football games to cheer on her boyfriend. I I, I think it's pretty cool, but... I get why people, because we're in a society, Brooke, where people want to be outraged by something, right? They want to be mad at something, so they get mad at the success of the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> That's so true. Everybody does want to be outraged now. Now, here's another follow-up question for you, because we were discussing this during the break, and I saw this all over social media last night from a lot of St. Louis-based accounts. What do you think about people who are from St. Louis who support the Chiefs? Or really, any if you want to say any NFL team for that matter, but specifically the Chiefs. Well, if you support financial... I don't support the National Football League financially. I don't do business with their business partners. Although it's really hard because there's so many of them. But the, the product is fine. And here's the thing. There's a lot of people that never really bought in to the St. Louis Rams because they became Chiefs fans when the league wasn't here between 1988 and 1994. And that's when Marty Schottenheimer arrived on the scene in Kansas City. They were really good. They got Joe Montana for a couple of years, and that was really exciting. And so people have been hardcore Chiefs fans for a long time. And if you are looking for a franchise, if if you're in Dubuque, Iowa, and don't have a franchise, and you look around the NFL and say, hmm, what would be an interesting team to like? Do you go to the one with the charismatic quarterback that's on every single commercial and the tight end who's got the superstar girlfriend and the team that's been to the Super Bowl in four out of five years? Why wouldn't you root? Or if you don't have any other rooting interest in the league, why wouldn't you root for that team? That's not a bad team to hit your wagon to. I I, I, there are bandwagon jumpers all over, and there's no, nothing wrong with being a bandwagon jumper for that franchise right now. Well, and I think if you're younger, mm-hmm. right, 
then you're going to gravitate towards the exciting player. Yeah. And Patrick Mahomes is exciting. I mean, I, I'm definitely not a Chiefs fan, obviously a Titans mm-hmm. fan, but still I have so much respect for Patrick Mahomes just because of what he's able to do. I would love to, believe me, Titans mm-hmm. fans know, I would love to have a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes that just lays it all out there on the field every single game. Yeah. And it's hard to hate that. They're, you they're may hate it, team. but you have to respect it. And by the way, the coach is extremely likable, too. Andy Reid's a fun guy. So I have no problem if if people want to cast their lot with the Chiefs. I have no problem with that at all. And I know there's people out there that ignorantly believe that Clark Hunt had something to do with the Rams leaving. Let, let me say this again. The only people that had anything to do with the Rams leaving were Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell. And then, uh, obviously, Eric Grubman, who convinced the owners. But uh, from an ownership standpoint, it was one owner. It was Jerry Jones who flipped the room. And it was the commissioner of the league, Roger Goodell, that desperately wanted to solve his quote-unquote L.A. problem. But otherwise, uh, Clark Hunt, when he was in the committee, the, uh, the six-person committee, the relocation committee, he told that group, he said, look, I know L.A. I've studied L.A. L.A. won't support one team, let alone two. So why did he vote for Inglewood? Because at the time, the Rams were the only team that was going to move. He was thinking about the overall strength of the league. He didn't want to weaken the league on two fronts by having two franchises in L.A., which has proven to be correct because neither the Rams or the Chargers are getting their own fans there. No. Right? It's fans of other teams that are showing up. So Clark Hunt wasn't wrong with that assertion. Now, Did it help us? No. But here's the thing. The committee voted 5-1 in favor of the Carson Project. And for the first time in the history of the year, the the league, and this was, the league was 96 years old at the time, the ownership, because it was steamrolled by Jerry Jones, rejected a committee's recommendation. So, no, it it wasn't Clark Hunt. It was Jerry Jones. It was to an extent Steve Viscotti, the owner of the Ravens, who asked for the the private vote. Uh, Until that time, every other vote had been a hand vote in the room of the the owners. And he asked for the private vote where everybody put their vote on a piece of paper. So Viscotti was complicit as well. But... All Clark Hunt did was look at it from a business standpoint. And then, if you know anything about the history of the league, and this started back in 1960 with Wellington Mara, the lead owner of the Giants, it's about league think. When Wellington Mara agreed to share New York's revenue with Green Bay's revenue, people kind of fell into line and said, okay, well, let's think as a league. And so, to this day, when they get into a room, they do tend to vote with the group. And there were two people that rejected that thought process. It was Michael Bidwell, Cardinals owner, and the late Jerry Richardson owner of the the Panthers. But that's just a long way of saying if if your reason for not liking the Chiefs is because you think Clark Hunt had something to do with the Rams leaving, that is not a factually based opinion that you have. We already are getting a lot of texts in about this. One from the 314. As a Missourian Hunt should have voted against it regardless, it just points to screw the Chiefs. Well, and again, you can do that if you want, but I'm just saying it's wrong. It's just the point, excuse me. Yeah, it's it, it's it's wrong. That that's all. And again, you go back to league think, and that's people in that room, the the owners, tend to vote with each other. Almost every vote in the NFL is unanimous, and this one was weird because it was really a fractured group at that time. 
and and obviously Michael Bidwell has strong St. Louis ties, and he didn't want the Rams to leave. And Jerry Richardson, uh, to his credit, he said the league will eventually will regret leaving St. Louis. And those were the two that voted against it. Uh, Clark Hunt was falling into line with the rest of the ownership group. Do you think that it also has to do more with just kind of a city rivalry and hatred for each other? Could be. Yeah, it, it could be. Uh, and people looking for a reason to not like something. Yeah, and that's fine. It's, you know, it's. Uh, I think there's an easy team to hate, right? It's, it's the Rams. Mm-hmm. But if you don't like the Chiefs, that's fine. And some people, again, they, they don't like the idea of the Chiefs being good and St. Louis not having a team. Well, that's, again, not Clark Hunt's fault. If you want to blame somebody, blame Jerry Jones. I like blaming Jerry Jones. It's easy to do. It is. he did it. Because he does it. Yeah, <laughs> he does a million different yep. things. Uh, that's your Rush Hour Reset on 101 ESPN. Coming up, did the performance or lack thereof from players like Lamar and Brock Purdy change our opinions of them? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Brock Purdy doing great work with his arm and his legs yesterday, and the San Francisco 49ers advanced to the Super Bowl in his second season. Purdy, 20 of 31 for 267, a touchdown and a pick. He also ran five times for 48 yards and just looked calm as he was leading the comeback for San Francisco. To me, this is what I've seen of Purdy since his very first game, Brooke. I don't think that he has changed at all. He is what he is. I'm shocked that he wound up being Mr. Irrelevant. When when I watch him play, and I didn't watch him play at Iowa State, but man, he just has every intangible that you're looking for from a leader and a quarterback. And he's so calm and so accurate and makes such good decisions. My, my opinion, just because he's in the Super Bowl, hasn't changed of him. It just is reinforced. No, I think that it has been reinforced because that's been the narrative all season long is, yeah, the 49ers are really good, but we can't give full credit to Brock Purdy because he's just a game manager. How many times have you heard that throughout the season is that he is just a game manager, which is a part of the game. You do have to manage it when Mm -hmm. you're in that role. But I think that he's also showcased that he can be a game changer. You mentioned the fact that not only has he been able to use his arms, but you saw him use his legs in that game. And maybe that was part of the reason why he was looked over is because of that. Because I think a lot of people just didn't think that he had that physicality, that ability in him, and maybe that's why he was overlooked for so long. Do you think that could be part of it? Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of times people are so enamored of, this is why Mitch Tabriski got drafted high. Mm-hmm. They, they look at the physical, but they don't look at the stuff that happens on the sidelines or the yeah. stuff that happens in the huddle. They're, they're only worried about arm strength and the size of the guy rather than the accuracy and the intelligence. And Brock Purdy, he, he encapsulates what you should be looking for in a quarterback. If you ask Mike Martz, I'll bet, you Mike, I'll bet Mike, Mike Martz loves Purdy because he's smart and he's accurate. Those are the first two things I would be looking at if I were scouting a quarterback. I wouldn't be trying to... And, and the, by the way, the 49ers, they drafted Trey Lance, right? Who had played like 16 college mm-hmm. games. Big guy, strong arm. But they recognize that the other guy was better, to their credit, rather than trying to to make Trey Lance work. But I think that's the biggest problem with the NFL is they are way too 
physically enamored of quarterbacks and not mentally enamored of quarterbacks. And he deserves his flowers. He deserves a lot mm-hmm. of credit after being overly criticized this entire season. But now, and this is just his second year. I had to yeah. remind myself about that. This is just his second year. There's a lot of potential there with Brock Purdy. And the way that he just really showed his poise, I mean, he was so poised. And he was just really that determination, too, with his back against the wall, not just him, but the entire team. He was just so calm, cool, and collected. And Randy, I mentioned this earlier that I feel like we have to give him a new nickname because he's not, to me, Mr. Irrelevant anymore, even though you could use that in an endearing way. Mm -hmm. I think that when you call Joe Burrow, Joe Cool, I think that Brock Purdy is also very cool, calm, and collected. So we got a couple in earlier that I want to circle back to for his nickname. Tell me which one you like, okay? Okay, got it. Brock the Rock. Good. I think that one's a good one. Rock solid. Yep. Mr. Relevant. Oh, that's really good. Purdy good. You don't like I thought no, no, I thought I, that that was the I, one that you would I, like. I, I do like it. I just don't know if you can use it as a nickname. I, I like it a lot. I think Mr. Relevant would be the one that I would go with, though. Where he gets that title. Switchback, yeah. I guess yeah. you could say. He, Mr. Relevant is pretty good. Oh, that's that's Whoa. that's pretty good. What do you mean? You don't like that? I think the party the party good's pretty pretty bad. So let's, oh. let's just roll with the Mr. Relevant part. Oh. Okay. So while Brock Purdy is getting the flowers today, Lamar Jackson is getting dead flowers, unfortunately. He goes twenty of thirty seven for two seventy two, a touchdown and a pick. Four sacks, seven uh pressures, and uh, I think it was ten hurries. Uh, he was under duress all day long. And I Give credit to the Kansas City defense for being able to shut him down. I don't know that there is a quarterback that under the under the circumstances that Lamar Jackson was under yesterday, I don't know that there's anybody that would have done an awful lot better. And oh, by the way, how different is the game if Flowers doesn't fumble? It would be completely different. And my opinion of Lamar Jackson hasn't changed. And I know that there's going to be, it's going to be the talk of mm-hmm. national media all day long. You know, Randy, about Lamar Jackson, if he really is that good, if he deserves to, you know, be that. The thing is, is that he will have two MVPs. He still deserves that for mm-hmm. what he was able to do this season. No Super Bowl appearances. It will be interesting to see where the Ravens go from here, but still. That performance doesn't take away because that Chiefs defense deserves so much credit in that. Here's an issue that I have yesterday with Todd Munkin and the Ravens. The team that led the league in rushing handed the ball off eight times in the game. Lamar Jackson ran it eight. He handed it off to Edwards three times, Zay Flowers twice on end arounds, and Justice Hill three times. They handed off to their running backs six times in the whole game yesterday. And the first carry was Gus Edwards in the first half. He went for 15 yards. Yeah. And then his next carry, he got stopped for one. And I don't think we saw another carry for him for another like 30 minutes of game time. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And obviously the the Chiefs' defense was or offense was hanging on to the ball. They had the nine-minute drive. There was a lot that went into it that didn't involve Lamar Jackson. But I think if you're the Chiefs or if you're the Ravens, I think Todd Munkin kind of panicked. Yes. In not using the ground game and not trying to get it going. You can't hand off to your running backs only six times in any NFL game and expect to win. No, and Spag's defense does such a great job, too, of just confusing their opponents. 
I, mm-hmm. I think that that's a big takeaway from that, too. And it just got to the point where you could tell that the frustrations boiled, boiled over and led to penalties and so many miscues for the Ravens. I guess this maybe kind of gets to the, the crux of the Lamar Jackson question about you know him being a regular season MVP, but maybe not a playoff performer. The whole thing with Munkin this year that was supposed to unlock Jackson is that he was supposed to make he was supposed to have more decisions at the line of scrimmage, and so that that makes me wonder too. In that game that that game plan, where's Lamar saying check out of this? Let's go to a run at, at some point in those plays. Like was that option still there for him, or was he not reading the the defense correctly? And, and was Spags was Spags confusion throwing off their ability to even check to the run? I think it could be both, honestly. And I think with Lamar Jackson, obviously we know he's an incredibly dynamic quarterback and runner, but. When I one of my keys going into it, what I was looking for is that when he presses Lamar, when he presses the line of scrimmage, that's what makes him really tough. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Spags and the Chiefs were just fully prepared for that, where he was thrown off, and obviously the Ravens were thrown off too. Yeah, there's nobody better right now at developing a game plan to take away your best performer than Spags. He he just finds a way to do it, and especially with adjustments. The Buffalo game, a perfect mm-hmm. example where Buffalo had a pretty good first half, but they didn't score in the second half, I don't believe. And that was just all based on Spagnolo going up to the whiteboard and making changes and adjustments and having a really smart young group that was able to adapt to that. It's going to be hard for San Francisco. As smart as Brock Purdy is and as smart as Kyle Shanahan is, the Niners will have trouble when Spags has two weeks to prepare for them. <laughs> exactly. Now, has your opinion changed of Patrick Mahomes in any way after that performance? No. He, he's able to get through Josh Allen. I know it's not just him, but still, the fact that you go head-to-head, there's so much conversation about being on the road in the playoffs— he squashed that narrative against the Bills, and he did it again against the Ravens. That's a very tough environment that him and the Chiefs went into. Does your narrative change of Patrick Mahomes in any way? I already thought he was the best guy, so I still think he's the best guy. I so, agree with you. Yeah, it's it's hard to dispute that, right? No, I just think I respect it even more. Yeah, and he did beat the teams that have, well, one's going to be the MVP. I, I would argue that Buffalo and Baltimore both have top five quarterbacks. He beat they teams do. that... Theoretically, should put a lot of points on the board, and the W is even even though it's ridiculous, the W is next to his name. He was never on the field with those guys. You know, Josh Allen didn't try to tackle Patrick Mahomes. No, but that would be great if we yeah. could have that. Yeah, at least one time. Mainly weighted by the Ravens' defense being historically good in a lot of different factors, Mahomes and this Chiefs team will have it'll be like a top ten. Total like defenses face in a playoff round if they win this Super Bowl. Taking out the Ravens, the 49ers, the Dolphins, and the Bills, it'll be one of the, the five hardest runs through defenses yeah. for any Super Bowl team either. Two other teams, by the way, a Chiefs team from three years ago, and both Giants teams. Wow, that won Super Bowl so yeah. or the against the Patriots. That's, That's a good one. Good good note, Matthew. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, why have the Blues been able to win five in a row? I don't know. We'll tell you what we think next on 101 ESPN. We'll try to figure it out. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Pavel to Shin. Shin to Butchnevich. They score! Bring out the Zamboni! Overtime heroics again! And the Blues have swept the road trip. A 4-3 win over the Kraken. Butchnevich the hero. Pavel Butchnevich launches a pass to Shen. Shen, a partial break. Shoots. Score! The captain, the hero, the game winner. And bring out the Zamboni. The Blues are back in a playoff spot. 
Blues have won five in a row, and four of those victories are by four or three scores over Calgary, Vancouver, Seattle, and the Kings. And uh, the Dom Decision guy over at the Athletic, he must be going crazy that the Blues have won five in a row, right? You've never forgotten about him, have you, Randy? Oh, no, because he, he well, <laughs> anybody who says that expected goals are more important than real goals, I, I have trouble respecting that. <laughs> but to isn't, me, isn't that fun? Like, it's you're expecting him. I, I do expect it's like them, but fantasy. My, my favorite ones are the ones that I don't expect. <laughs> and they surprise and, you? And they wind up winning a game and for my team. And they count? Yeah. Oh. Because here's, what the, here's the thing. We wouldn't even need to play. We wouldn't even need to pay for tickets if we just went by expected wins, right? We, we could just cancel the season and go with expected goals, expected wins, and we're golden. Do you think that last season, with the Cardinals being the grapefruit league champs, that maybe the expectation was pretty high? There was a lot of high expectations. I, I for the think Cardinals. Our, so if you just would have yeah. based it off of that, you could say, "Oh, we we don't even do this season." But the Pakota people, unfortunately, were probably right for the. Well, they weren't really. I think they had the Cardinals at like eighty-one wins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, the Pakota projections nice. are never great. So Jeremy Rutherford has a great piece up at the Athletic as to why the Blues are hot right now, and he starts with the fact that the defense is playing great, and especially Letty and Pareko, and they brought Nick Letty here to be a partner with Colton Pareko, and in the last five games, actually the last month or so, those two together are playing better together than they, well, than they ever have. I, I wonder how much of that is Drew Bannister. I think Drew Bannister could be a big part of that. I think that there's also something else at play here that I just think is interesting. And I think a lot of this has to do with Justin Falk obviously has been dealing with an injury Mm -hmm. and he's likely to be now shut down through the All-Star break. So this is something that has been nagging him. But you remember that that goal that was right off of his skate. And there was a lot of different moments with Justin Falk this season. And I don't know if he's been dealing with an injury the entire season. But do you think that there's something there with that he hasn't been out there and the Blues have been playing well? Or is it just the fact of guys stepping up? I would have to think that it's just coincidence. Now, one thing that has happened is that Matt Kessel has been getting more ice time. Mm -hmm. And obviously Pareko is playing more than he ever has, at least since he got the big contract with the Blues. So perhaps there's something to it that the ice time that Falk gets takes away from some of the effectiveness that other people get when they get an opportunity to play a lot. That could be the case. I agree with you on that. Then he missed his third straight game with what is, I guess, is being labeled as a lower body injury that he sustained back on December 29th, according to Luke Korak. And now you have Scott Perunovich also dealing with a lower body injury, as Curves mentioned, so mm-hmm. we'll have to see where that goes. But I think defensively, it all goes back to Colton Pareko and how he is setting the tone for this defensive unit. And I think Nick Letty has steadily improved this season. He has, and he's showing that skating ability again, and for whatever reason, he and Pareko are meshing. And that's a big thing. The biggest thing, though, Brooke, it's the goaltending, isn't it? It is. The Blues have allowed a ton of shots. They have the eighth highest save percentage as a team in the league at 9.08. And even though the goals against average is not great, uh, 3.15, they're saving pucks when they need to. The, uh, and you never know when a timely save is going to come. There's no analytic for that. But the Blues seem to be getting a ton of timely saves, too. Yeah, I I agree. I think that, they're, that their goaltending has helped a lot, especially Jordan Bennington 
so many of the players after the games have talked about him and how big of a difference ma- maker that he's been. But then you also look at the forward groups, right? I feel like you're starting to now see some more chemistry, especially with your top six, but your bottom six as well. Yeah. And it's funny because I don't think that the, the bottom six is super talented. No. But they're playing great systemic hockey. They're playing mm-hmm. together, connected hockey. And that's how you win is – if you can now, do you need your top six to perform at a high level? Of course, yes. But when you look at that group, so Torpchenko, Hayes, and Walker—that's not really a group of world beaters. Is your third line? That's your, your third line, and your fourth is Sonny, who's playing great, and Blay and Alexandrov. But they're playing within the confines of the system that the coaching staff has put in place for them, and that is a great way to win. You can win at hockey without superstars if you play the system. And that's what the Blues are doing now, and that's why they've won five in a row. Well, you still do need some superstars to help you Mm -hmm. during the playoff run, but you need guys who can step up too. Jake Neighbors has been such a great revelation, I believe, for the Blues this season. I don't think anybody was expecting him to do what he's done. But then also during this road trip, and I mentioned this earlier, I think it's really important for Pavel Buchnevich to get back on track, which is something that he has been able to do, to be able to get scoring, to get going once again. I mean, his points have increased. It kind of he kind of went through a stretch there, Randy, where it felt like he wasn't able to even get a couple of points. But now you're seeing him get back on that track. He looks more of like what you expected with Pavel Buchnevich. I know we've seen that throughout the season, but he just kind of went through a little stretch there. He's he's playing fast. He is. And Thomas plays fast, and uh, he plays fast all the time. Sometimes you see that from Buchnevich and Kairou, where they don't seem to be playing as fast yeah. as they are. But lately, during this run, you're right, Butchnevich has looked like a faster player. He's just playing with more alacrity. And I like, I, ooh, that was a good word. Thank you. That was a great word. Appreciate and that. I like the kayaking celebration, as that I mentioned fun. there. But I think that there is something to the way and the manner in which they've been able to win these games. What do you think that that says about this group? And Braden Shin mentioned the belief that they have in the locker room right now. Yeah, there's grit. There's and I don't think you could always say that about the Blues. If and this was it down the stretch of Barubi. If they fell behind, it was over. Mm-hmm. But it seemed he, like they would just give up. Right, like they just knew they yeah. didn't even they didn't even care about fighting for the results. Yep. It just felt like oh okay. Yep. And now there's confidence there. And by the way, look at what uh, what the captain has done, what Braden Shen has done during this stretch and during really the last ten games after going. Let me get Matthew had the numbers for us earlier, and I, I will get them for you. But after going 12 games without a point, he won uh, in the last eight. Is it? Hold on here. Uh, five game streak, four goals, uh, two game winners, and two assists for six points during the five game streak. Last nine games, ten points after going pre- his previous 12 without a point. So, uh, Schenner is is playing great. Uh, by the way, you you mentioned Justin Falk. I did some quick math, and okay. this is correct. By the way. The Blues with Justin Falk in the lineup are 20, 18, and 2. 20 wins, 18 losses, 2 overtime losses. Without Falk in the lineup, they're 6 and 2. Wow. So that is some good math. Small sample size. But 2018 and 2 with Justin in the lineup, 6 2 and 0 without him in the lineup. And I think that a big thing is health for Justin Falk. Obviously, as I mentioned there, that Lou Korak has, that he's been dealing with this lower body injury since December 29th. Mm-hmm. And Bannister has mentioned this, that this is really just about getting him back to 100% health because, I mean, that's a big factor. We talked about Compareco, about his health and how that's been such a key success for the season. I think the same goes for Justin Falk, too. Yeah, no doubt about it. And 
this break, as Curbs mentioned, the Blues are off after tomorrow until February 10th. So it'll be a beneficial break to get him healthy. Oh, Mexico. You think they all go to Mexico? No, uh, Kairu said he's going to Toronto, but not for the All-Star game. But most, oh, okay. of them, most of them are going to Mexico. Where would you go if you were a hockey player on your All-Star break? Oh, I would find probably something domestic but sunny. Okay. Yeah, I I, I would definitely. You would find a golf course. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd probably go to the Valley of the Sun. I was gonna say, Granny's going to Arizona. Let's yeah. just see. let's let's <laughs> like why, why are we why are we even floating? Why are we even, Granny's yeah. going to Arizona every yeah, time. I am. You're right. You're a hundred percent. You don't right. want to go too far away because then what if you get stuck? That that's would exactly be my right. thought process. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It depends on where you get stuck. And if they have good food, if I was playing, come back. If I was playing yeah. in the NHL and they were like, "Yeah, you got a whole week," I don't know if I'm like, I don't know if I w- would be able to go somewhere that didn't have like a, a place where like a pool was see through through like my floor. Like <laughs> that would be like my baseline of like, where are you going? That's anywhere, anywhere that has a floor that I can look down into the ocean below my room. That's my baseline if I'm the NHL for this week. <laughs> that's I wouldn't do anything else. Yeah, I just need a beach. Exactly. That's good. Coming up, we're going to head down the stretch with an edition of Rock and Roll here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock today. And roll here on 101 ESPN. Matthew, what do you got for us? We talked for a second about the Dan Campbell decision that no one's criticizing, but probably was the, in a vacuum, the dumbest coaching decision made yesterday. What are you doing running the ball on third and one, (laughs) under two minutes left, when you're going to need another possession to make the game even a question? And if you look at the timing... If you don't have to use the timeout there, they probably get the ball back. Yeah, it's probably like 15 to 30 seconds, but they could have gotten yeah. the ball back if he doesn't burn that burn that play. What are they doing running the ball? I don't know if that's Ben Johnson screwing up there, if Campbell allows it, but that's a huge mistake that we haven't talked about this entire show, and I think that, that needs to be focused on a little bit. Okay, here's what the uh, Clark Hunt didn't want the Rams in St. Louis people are going to tell you. <laughs> They're going to say that Ben Johnson made that play call because he didn't want to win the game because he wants to take over Washington and he wouldn't be able to take over Washington if the Lions were in the Super Bowl. Oh, there you go. I am fully buying into that one, Randy. Yeah. It makes so much sense, especially for those people who are talking about Hunt. Yeah, the conspiracy theorists. Yeah, yeah. the conspiracy theorists. That that is a curious play call on on the Lions. That was so weird. Yeah. Well, and that was that was one of many. What do you think? Because we also got a text in earlier, and I can't find it now. But somebody is saying that it was just a lazy take to talk about Dan Campbell and his coaching decisions. That that wasn't the reason why they lost. Well, then America is making lazy takes today because everybody's talking about it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's that, that might be a lazy take, but that's it. It might not I don't be think the it's reason. Lazy. We, we, we yeah. don't know that it, that the field goals would have gone through the uprights, but. If you're up 27 to 10 in the third quarter, it's a lot better than two touchdowns because they came right back, scored on you, and then they tied the game 24-24. I don't think it's a lazy take at all. That was a first guess on most fans and observers' parts. Well, it's the first thing that you yep. definitely notice because you just take the points. Yep, and he talked about it, right? He, he did. Dan Campbell talked about it. He didn't. He, he said, I understand why you would ask that question. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't call it a lazy take. So if Dan Campbell gets it, then why shouldn't we all? And I understand that the Reynolds drop 
on fourth down was a huge moment. And there were several other like that, uh, others like that as well. But that just kind of goes into what we're talking about in general, is that you can't make mistakes like that at all. Right. Coaching mistakes, player mistakes like that in a game, especially against the 49ers, especially against mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And sticking with... And, and uh, can I make one, one other point here? Go ahead. When you give up the ball... It doesn't count this way, but when you give up the ball on a couple of fourth downs like that on fourth and two and don't get points out of it, that's a turnover. And and that's so you cost your your team two turnovers deep mm-hmm. in enemy territory. And I like Dan Campbell a lot, so I think a lot of people sometimes can't separate the two. That you take it as a full shot at Dan Campbell and everything that he's accomplished this season. It's not about that. Mm-hmm. I don't think. it's That's not what I'm saying. I have really enjoyed Dan Campbell. I think he's very bullish, obviously very stubborn, and it's worked for them all season. And why I'm sure in his head he's thinking, why wouldn't it work now? Because that's 100% him banking on his guys. But once again, it's different during the regular season than the postseason. The mistakes are magnified, and the points, you have to take them when you get a chance. Right. Even if it's not the you exciting, do. sexy thing to do. And sticking with Dan Campbell, uh, if you are a Lions fan, you might want to plug your ears for this one because Uh-oh. he came out and said uh, post game he was talking to a couple of the writers, and he said that, quote-unquote, it's going to be tri- twice as hard. This may have been our only shot. Yeah. And I really love – I mean, I, obviously it's, it's a hard thing to hear if you're a Lions fan, but I like that that Campbell knows this game enough that, that – that he's being honest with it right out of the gate because it's not just – you're not three points away from getting to the Super Bowl. You're another whole season plus three points away from getting to the Super Bowl. So, and, and he acknowledges how hard it is to repeat and stuff like that. It's a hard thing to hear from, to, from the Detroit Lions fans, but at the same time, having a young coach who just got lambasted for making mistakes for being a young coach, this quote shows a lot of growth and maturity from him as a head coach. Well, they just won their first playoff game in, like, what, 32 years? Uh, 30 even. Oh, yeah, 32, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, he's just being realistic. Yeah. And I think that's also, it wasn't a way, I think some people, when you hear that quote, you almost take it in a negative way where he's yeah, saying just, like, this was our one shot. That was it. Like, no, he's just putting into realistic terms. It's so hard to get to this point. That's why it makes what the the Chiefs are doing, what the Patriots yep. did. <clears throat> that's why you well, love to hate them. Look at the play, the, the tackle by Mike Jones one year ago tomorrow. And the Titans would have had all the momentum. And neither team has won a Super Bowl since the Rams well the, the St. Louis Rams never won another Super Bowl and the Titans have not been back and all it all comes down to one play so you do when you get into those opportunities you it, you need to take advantage of them and not everybody does but you need to look at the Arizona Cardinals when they lost to Pittsburgh and a lot of it was well it, it was it was that drive and that San Antonio Holmes catch and Arizona hasn't been back since and still hasn't won a Super Bowl it's amazing how one little play or two little plays can change a long-term outlook for an entire franchise and really an entire city. And sometimes it's hard to see where's the crack going to come. You got you got a young team. Where's it going to come? Well, you talked about it earlier, Randy. You got a quarterback. You're going to have to give another contract to, and that mm-hmm. changes everything. That changes, you know, you, you, yeah, yeah, sure. You're going to lock in Aiden Hutchinson and, and Panay Sewell to the big contracts. But what happens to that defensive backfield? That's all young mm-hmm. players on rookie deals, pretty much. Mel Fonwu, Jerry Jacobs, and you know those guys. What's going to happen to those guys? What's going to happen to you know your skill position players when you have Sam Laporta, Jamison Williams, and Jameer Gibbs all potentially coming up for right. contracts after their fourth year? How many of those guys are you going to be able to keep? And again, I talked about it earlier. Can you get away with taking non-traditional 
picks in the first round, maybe because that that's a those are risky picks. And if they work out, things look good. You get Jameer Gibbs mm-hmm. making plays. You get Jack Campbell as a leader. But all of a sudden, you take a tight end or something like that early in the first round, and it can completely throw off your entire team building strategy. Yeah, and you do have to have a plan. You have to have a program. That was one of the great things about Coach Vermeil here, is that he built a program, and it can't just be the first rounders either. You've got to be able to get productive players, and this is one of the great things about the Chiefs. They are getting productive players out of the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth rounds. And that's how you win when you have a really expensive quarterback. I mean, getting Rishi Rice in the second round is huge for them. Getting the defensive backs that they got out of the late rounds is is huge. And obviously, Carl Aftis was a, a late first, but they aren't picking at the top of the draft and they're getting lots of production out of guys. And they're not going to stop from here. I guess a lot is and you mentioned this, that Travis Kelsey isn't going to retire. He said that he plans to play next year, yeah. Now, could he do a whole Rob Gronkowski on us where he just kind of keeps changing his mind and he maybe could. he will retire? <laughs> Who knows? But here's the thing is how, how much you want to bet too that they're going to really revamp this wide receiver room going into next season? So where does this stop for the Chiefs. Right. Well, Sky Moore hasn't worked out. Uh, Tony hasn't worked out. I guess MVS, did he sign a two-year deal? He might, he might be coming up on free agency. But they've, they're have they pretty good at finding players in the draft that work out for them. They could bring Hardman back. Uh, they, 17, 17's name? Uh, he's pretty good. Valdez Scanling is, is uh, he, he's done after this he's year. He's a free agent. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, he, he, and he was a pretty big, he, he was a $13.9 million yeah. cap hit for them, too. Yeah, Richie James, Richie James. Uh, has, has a chance. So they've, they've got other players that, and Rasheem Rice might wind up being a superstar. Ross is the other one that I was trying to think of. They've, they've got talent, and the big thing they've got is the guy that makes receivers better. Exactly. That's I think that's a big part of Rasheed Rice. In his rookie yep. season, to be able to do this and really emerge in the way that he has, I was not expecting this. Did you also see this weekend, speaking of Tony, did you see this weekend where he talked about how he really wasn't injured and that the team's lying? No, but I saw that it was... Uh, he was listening. He was like on Instagram Live or really? something, and he he said that on Instagram Live huh. is that they're lying about him being injured and says that he's not hurt. Okay, well then he's gone. Uh, they're, they're saying it's a personal problem as that to why personal. he's not playing. Yeah, so uh, maybe the personal problem is he lost his ability to catch the football. Oh, that might be it. Could be. It sounds like there's some tensions yeah. there. He's but not going to be there. Here's Tony's, yeah, here's Tony's not playing for the Chiefs anymore after this no. year. There's, there ain't no chance. <laughs> yeah, that's now. done. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so, that's done. Pray you get that second ring while on the bench and then right off into the sunset, my friend. I, they yeah. gave him so many chances. I really right. don't feel bad. No, uh, he got plenty of opportunity. And he should have been a good player. It's a shame that it didn't work out for him. Shocking that a first-round pick got way too many opportunities than he should have. Can't believe that happened. Didn't get enough with the Giants, ironically. No, he probably shouldn't. Yeah, he probably yeah. should have gotten like one more chance with them. But yeah. the Chiefs, they keep giving to him, and he keeps blowing it. I think you made the decision on that one pretty easily. Yeah. And the Chiefs know that they can find receivers in the middle rounds that will be productive for them. You don't need wide receivers, Randy. You have a good offensive line and a Hall of Fame tight end and a great quarterback. You don't need wide receivers. That's all you need? That's all in a good in a, in a really good defensive coach. Okay. So you don't need wide receivers. You'll win a lot of Super Bowls without any good wide receivers. Yeah, why not? Huh. It's, it's, not like, it's not like Tom Brady had a had a Super Bowl lull there and then went to Tampa Bay with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and immediately won a Super Bowl. I'm, I'm going to study this. I'm going to do some research. I'm just saying. So uh, <laughs> You're going to study this. And do by the way, I, I love our textures. This one from the 314. Oh, yeah. Brooke, you brought this to my attention. Uh-oh. 
uh, as we head down the stretch here. Randy has been anti-STL on the whole Rams <laughs> thing for years. <laughs> So you know what I did? I just sent him your speech on YouTube of where you tried to convince the Rams to stay in St. Louis, but which is kind of weird because you're so anti-St. Louis. I don't know why yeah. you did that, Randy. I can't think of a more like factually inaccurate statement that I've heard on this show in a long time. Like that's just like you're missing the entire dartboard with that one, my friend. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I would say so. So hopefully they'll enjoy but, that and maybe learn something yeah, today. Bit. Yep. Uh, great job today by our producer, audio, video engineer, the one, the only, Matthew Rocky. Thank you, sir. Pleasure. Uh, Brooke, did you have fun today? Yes. What's your face? We want to see your face. Who said that? You want to see my face? Danny Mack will be with us tomorrow. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great Monday, St. Louis. And now for something completely different. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.